Wow. You've been in and out of Prague the last like five or six years, right? Something like seven years, yeah. Pretty wild, yeah. Um, well, it's kind of a long story. Uh, so I was living here when I was a kid. And my dad has always, and my uncles have always been doing business here for the past like 30 years. So like my whole life. And uh, like my dad would spend half the year or maybe more here growing up as a kid. So he was always away. And then I was with you at SC. And after I, well, so before I graduated, like right after I got to SC, I went to Afghanistan and I was working uh, in an internship there with the United Nations and uh, the Ministry of uh, Finance and Ministry of Foreign Affairs to set up like an international event in Kabul, mm -hmm. which at the time was like the biggest, it was like a big diplomatic thing. And at that time I was studying IR, international relations, and I was trying to get into diplomacy. But like working in that event and you're working with like, you know, I didn't personally meet them, but you're working with like Hillary Clinton and General Petraeus and all the different, you know, foreign ministers and secretaries of state. I got to like see a lot of behind the curtain stuff and I realized I didn't really want to be part of that world. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well it makes sense to go to law. I think I'll be a good lawyer. And after a while I was like, fuck, I don't want to do that either. It sounds like not the best move. And I was in the band with Pat and we were playing music and well, I was rapping, but they were playing music, I guess. I hate to, I don't like to refer to myself as a musician when I'm talking to people like no, you. No, but you are, a, but, you um, are a fucking killer rapper though. <laughs> I was, um, in another life. But, um, we were doing that and we were getting paid a little bit, actually. We started making money, like not a lot, but people were, you know, giving us more than what we asked for because they enjoyed the show, like the, the venue. Um, and we brought a lot of people and then we kind of like stopped the band and at the time I was working like three different jobs and I kind of gave them all up for the band at some point. Like I lost one, another one I quit because they wouldn't let me play a show. They wouldn't let me take work off. And I somehow ended in a position where I was like unemployed and not in the band. And I was like, well, fuck. So I was just on the beach all day for like in, months. In San Diego? Yeah, I was just on the beach all day for months getting a killer tan and not doing anything. And I was like, yo, this is not good. And Pops was just like, look, man, this is not good. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I'm aware. This is, I don't know what to do. And he was like, well, I'll tell you what, I'm leaving in three days to Prague. And I never wanted you to get involved in what I'm doing over there. But if you want to come and get involved in what I'm doing over there, you can come. So basically, within like three days, I packed up my life, most of it, and then moved across the world. Well, I was just talking to Dan about this. I feel like most Americans right now in 2020 are probably jealous of someone who is living in, living in, not in America. Um, it's just such a fucking shit show here right now with everything. Um, yeah, so I can imagine, dude. Uh that's the blessing. Also, I've, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I feel like you are simultaneously one of the, like, one of the most intelligent, like most driven people I've ever met. And at the same time, like so laid back that I can see you just sort of like sitting in on the beach for like a minute being like, yeah, whatever. Like this is chill. I'll just do this. It's not like a laziness. Yeah, it's just like a, it's a, it's a mindset that you have that sort of just like 
what's the what's the hurry type deal um which i've yeah. always super appreciated about you um so yeah it's interesting but I, I imagine it's been a trip living in prague you must like it a lot if you've been there for as long as you have so so um i guess no. are, we, are we recording right now or is this are we, are we live are we doing we're this? live we but you know we can chatting? we can cut oh, okay. we can cut what we can cut whatever you know yeah, yeah. there's no hard fast rules yeah well to be honest so like the first until like 2017 so the first four years i was back and forth a lot so i'd be like 10 months in prague five months four months three months in san diego six months in san diego back to prague for 10 months and back and forth a lot and um, and I was working in real estate. I was working with family. I was setting up my own business, which I still have, and it's going on right now. And it was around 2017, where 2015 actually, where my life. Uh, so actually, yeah, the numbers are wrong. I came to Prague in 2013, and it was in the middle of 2015 where my life kind of. Uh, really got really trippy. You know what I mean? Like I really didn't like where I was at mentally, physically, or spiritually. Uh, I didn't feel healthy in any of those uh, realms. I felt like I was really like in a bad place. Um, and I left Prague for like almost two years and I went through like a transformative state back home in San Diego, which was really important for me. And, um, and it kind of led me to where I'm at today. Word. Uh, and I mean, that's a whole story. I'm sure that, I mean, that might even be part of what we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I'm today, sure we'll actually, get into that. I wanted to holler at your, at your homie real quick. Your name was Dan, you said? Yeah. How's it going, man? Pretty good, man. I know I, I know a little bit about Harrison, but I don't know a lot about you, man. Tell me about yourself. We're going to talk for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I'm from Southern California originally. Spent the first... 27 years of my life there and uh moved up to portland oregon i guess seven and a half years ago and uh yeah just kind of do got myself involved in this portland music scene here hosting a, a different podcast just doing a music podcast meeting musicians and stuff so um that's how i met met andrew here actually started managing his band for a minute while that was going on and uh yeah both of us just kind of grew up with some some spirituality in our life and some religion as as kids and both kind of bailed on it more as we got into our early 20s and i just had this goofy idea for him one day that we should just get super baked and fucking talk about the bible yeah. and <laughs> yeah and, and kind of have this this stoned bible study happy hour kind of thing which which evolved to us kind of wanting you know to talk to other people just about kind of uh you know if they grew up religious whether they're they're kind of in it still or how their their ideas have evolved if they still feel spiritually connected and that's how we get here talking to you nice yeah man nice but yeah. overall i would say yeah i'm just like some dude that's super into music and i i play hockey and that's my that's oh, my shit cool, dude. yeah like i they love, love hockey out here dude yeah and they the do Czech Republic, they're wild for it hell yeah the czech they're republic has some it. some great hockey leagues that's the the cool thing about yeah. hockey is it's a lot like soccer and 
and there's so many different leagues in Europe for, for both of those sports. And, uh, yeah, I mean, North America is definitely taken over as like the Mecca for like the, the NHL and that's such like a, a big league and something I always like to talk about with people when they don't know much about hockey is that it's like one of the most diverse professional sports like organizations i would say in the united states along with the mls now you know just so many people from from europe that come over to play in the nhl and it's like it's their premier league and shit so yeah they fuck with it heavy in the check um corona corona california to be specific corona oh you you're deep you're deep in there inland yeah yeah. Yeah, better. Uh, that's right by that's right by Mexico, huh? Uh, no, no. It's it's, a, like, it's like around inland of, of, of San Diego, right? Uh, it, so it's, it's like, like up the fifteen. Yeah, it's east. It's a little northeast of of San Diego. Northeast. Yeah. Oh, okay, so okay. it's like an hour from San Diego, an hour from LA. So it's past Temecula and all that. Um, right before, yeah, if, yes, yeah, if you were coming from San Diego, it would San be Diego, past, yeah. it would be past Temecula. Okay. So yeah, cool, I, grew, I grew up there and yeah, man. Dan, just to give you a little bit of context, uh, for how I know Wally. So Wally was like one of the first people I met at USC during orientation. We serendipitously sat next to each other during an orientation lunch and, uh, yeah, I didn't know what to make of him at first. I mean, he just was sort of like, he was a couple years older than me. Um, but we hit it off and uh, ended up having like a ton of mutual friends. I think we would have ended up becoming homies even if we hadn't met in orientation because you ended up becoming like meeting a bunch of other people like separately who were who were in the fraternity and stuff. So, um, but yeah, Wally is like, well, he's the first person that ever got me stoned. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we smoked no a shit. we smoked a, a blunt together, um, and I had I had smoked up to that point like a handful of times, but I had never been like stoned. Um, and mm. I think one time I had been like crossfaded, but I wouldn't really count that because I just got like I was drunk and then I smoked, and then I was like out of my mind, fucked up. So this was the first time just like going in like just to like smoke weed and i had never experienced the feeling of like being stoned before i just remember like my eyebrows feeling like caterpillars and super fuzzy and like sort of just having this epiphany of like oh this is what it's like to be stoned i really like this um but there's all kinds of stuff that i learned from wally i feel like to this day i still say no doubt a lot and that's something that I definitely picked up from Wally. I know that's just like sort of a SoCal thing, but like, no, I, I feel like Wally was the first person I ever really heard, like throw that around. We'd be like hanging out and he'd be like, no doubt, no doubt. And I'd be like, word, I, the way he says that is cool. And I'm, I want to be cool. So I started saying, and I still, even just texting Wally right before this, I was asking him about like, yeah, a verse in the Quran. And he sent it to me and I said, no doubt. And I, as I sent that, I thought I was like, man, I got that from you. I got that from you, Wally, which is so funny. But so funny. yeah, Wally is just like uh, Wally's a fucking homie, and uh, it's uh, it's sad that it's been a long time since we've caught up. But I'm stoked that I get to chat with you now, and I definitely have uh, have carried a lot of the things that we, the experiences that we had in college, just like interesting chats that we had. I feel like you're such an insightful, like uh, just deep person. Um, and you're also one of the few 
Muslim people that I know in America. I mean, mm. I probably only mm. know like on a like personal level, I probably only know like maybe four or five. Um, mm. And those other ones are like people who, you know, I, I have known or like I've worked with or whatever, but not people that I know like super well. So, mm. um, yeah, part of this chat, I think for us is like, you know, we've had, we've, we've had a few different faiths represented on the podcast, but um, definitely want to like diversify a little bit. And I think, yeah, you're our first Muslim guest and also our first, I guess, like person of color that we've had on as well. Uh, we've had a brown. We've had two brown people. Oh, you're yeah. right. Oh, you're <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. brownies. Yeah, we've, brownies we've had. That's yeah, good, man. Um, I don't want to be anyone's first, you know. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, but yeah, man. Yeah, I'm. I'm here to get. I think Andrew is too. Like, yeah, we're definitely here for the education as much as the the chat. Like, um, but I love that you uh you know you kick things off with uh with a question you know trying to find some things out about myself so. You know, feel free, feel free to not feel like you're on the hot seat over there. If you if you're curious no, man, about about real. our shit, I know you. We just uh, chat, brother. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, for sure. We just chat, man. I don't know if Andrew. I don't know if you remember, man. I used to run a podcast too back in the day, like ten years ago, eleven years ago, like eight years, eight to ten years ago. It was uh, me and my buddy Jamie, and uh, we were running a podcast about comic books and like you know popular media. Okay. And uh, we were called Zoocast. We never made it on Apple Podcasts or whatever big things that were back then. The Apple was still the biggest one back then. And uh, that's because we had a song. Our intro song was from Mad Lib mm-hmm. and it's copyright. And I think we were too like wet behind the ears to realize that that's not allowed. Right. And every time I would try to upload it, it just wouldn't get accepted. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, we liked that song so much and it seemed so perfect for our intro that we just decided to go like on the Tumblr route. And I think our Tumblr is still up and we thought it would be more like, I don't know, interesting. And, and actually that, that might've worked out because like, I don't use Tumblr and I only used it like 10 years ago on the podcast, but you know, you know, you can go back and find a lot of really great artists who for some reason had a Tumblr, like yeah. Travis Scott before he was big, was posting all kinds of fashion stuff on Tumblr and you look at it and it's what people are wearing now. And like, yeah. it, I think Frank Ocean has one, like it's, it's weird. I don't know. Yeah, the Tumblr, Tumblr community is an interesting, I'm not super deep into it. I know some people who, who have been, but um, it is an interesting platform that has sort of been, uh, yeah, has been the platform for a lot of like important people in different communities for sure over the years also yeah mad respect for just riding with the mad lib intro because you know he's one mm. of the he's one of the greatest so just yeah fuck it at that point i think it was i think it was off that danger no 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 it was off mad villainy i think it was with mf doom yeah i think that's that's what it was um yeah i mean Tumblr's kind of like, I don't know, I think they're like a porn website now? or They, they were, but they, they canceled that a couple <laughs> years ago. Okay. Tumblr's um, like yeah, one of those weird social media platforms like Twitter where you can actually just have porn on it. Used to be. Oh, I guess it Used was. Used to be. Yeah, okay. okay, it was. Yeah. But Twitter is still yeah. like that. Twitter is still like that. 
I don't even use it, man, so I don't even know. Yeah. Like, yeah, you I can... I guess I've heard, I've heard. You can straight heard, have, like, like, a fuck clip on there for sure. Like, that's that's how porn stars and stuff, like, use their, their Twitters pretty uh, much. They can put, like, a I'm, explicit trailer just out mm-hmm, in this, uh, in this world. They, I'm glad they have a place where they can, you know, have a voice. Sure. Yeah, I fuck with no. it. I like. Someone, I like that Twitter's just like, yeah, fuck it. Someone's like, gotta give them a voice. For the most part, explicit, you know, places where people can be explicit. I think it's it's a necessary thing. When you, I mean, where else are people going to be publicly raunchy? You know. Sure. I sure. think they need to get it out of their system somehow. No doubt. So, uh, on that note, um, let's dive into this a little bit. Um, yeah, we'll go from porn to religion. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, no, so it's interesting. You know, I've known you for a long time, and, and we were definitely buds in college. Um, I know a little bit about your your background, but, like, I certainly don't know much about your, your story uh, leading up to, you know, when I met you at USC. So I'm sort of curious about, um, yeah, what your upbringing was like and, like, you know, how sort of like faith played into your your family and your upbringing and just all that wherever you want to start whatever you want to share um well yeah um where to start uh i wanted to i was trying to think almost really quickly of like a joke intro to start like it all started back when but i I couldn't think of anything so (laughs) i guess faith has always been kind of like a almost almost always been a kind of a big deal in my family's life um because you know we're from afghanistan i'm a first generation american you know uh my mother's side was refugees and my father's side had immigrated throughout the world before the war to europe and canada and then eventually america um and yeah, I mean, that's a crazy story. Like, I still like to talk to all my uncles and aunts and stuff and like to hear their perspective, especially the ones on the mother's side who were refugees. Like, how was it to come and what their experiences were coming and what the world was like back then? Because as I get older, I realize how much of a trip it is, you know, because these days we have the Internet, we got YouTube, we got Twitter, we got everything, right? And we can kind of see everything whenever we want. We lost you. <laughs> Oh no. Headphones dead? Feed lost? Um, yeah, man, it is just to where we left off. Um, it's kind of crazy that you, you know, I think a lot of Americans have, you know, it's going somewhere back there. Obviously, every American has family that came to America from Europe or wherever, especially white Americans. Like, I'm a total European mutt. Um, you know, but I think the closest I have is like my grandma on my dad's side was born in Austria and like came to Austria when she, or came to America when she was in her twenties. Um, everyone else it's like, you know, yeah, my parents are like fourth or fifth generation Americans. Um, so I could find the sort of like refugee or, or immigrant, like, thread somewhere in there but it's way back it's not like me i can't go talk to those people and be like what was it like coming in on like ellis island or like what was it like being you know going from afghanistan to canada or whatever it was Um, yeah yeah so that's a trip i mean it's definitely a big it's definitely a big um like what i was meaning to get to a second ago was like 
you know, we have uh, all these avenues of information today. And it's like, I, I'm constantly watching videos, like HD videos from like bloggers in Afghanistan, traveling in Afghanistan, uh, going to the nature in there. And I'm like, just amazed by it. And it always makes me want to go back for more. And then it always ends up me, it always ends up for me, like to think about my parents, like they had to leave the place that they were born and raised and everything they knew. And they just, they couldn't even see it anymore. Like we could see it now. We can go right. to YouTube and write Afghanistan clips and watch it and see the places they would visit with their family where they had their memories. They didn't even get the privilege to see it again. Like they had, maybe they had some pictures printed out because that's the only way you right. had it back right. then. Right. But when they left, like that was sort of it. They're that not, it. they're not able to t t tune into some news network from there through the internet nah. and just, yeah, nah. that's the next time they got to see it was after nine 11 when we were bombing them. And that's the last, that's the first time I can really get to see it. Like a lot of footage of Afghanistan was, was, was destruction. Yeah. Through the war. And it was, it was really hard. I was only in seventh grade, eighth grade. It was like, you know, you don't have any perspective really, but it was like really hard to see my parents have to watch that because it was like, they're watching the city where they grew up, get destroyed on TV into like rubble. And it was really rough for me to watch them. Like that's basically, I think every starting point for every, for every like uh, Muslim American or something like this, like a, a solid starting point for them is nine 11 to talk about their experience growing up right. because that that's pretty much changed huge, the game for everyone. Huge turning point. Yeah. I mean for everyone in the world in general, that was a huge turning point. Like the world changed forever after that. But like, right. It was the biggest internationally like radicalized move from like, yeah. From the Islamic world that was I mean, on the yeah, national I mean, stage. I just like, like, it was wild, dude. Like, uh, I didn't really have any perspective on it. Like, okay. I knew to an extent that like, I was always proud of where I'm from my heritage, you know, like never have I not been. And I've always been passionate about working towards helping Afghans and helping my, like my home country, you know, like America is my home as well. Um, it isn't my actual home. Like, you know, it's all I know really. Like in Afghanistan, they'll consider me an American, but then I have a bunch of Americans in America who consider me not American. You know, yeah. you're not really an American. So it's kind of a weird place that a lot of first generation people have that whether you're Filipino American or something, you know, like you're, yeah, you're sort of one foot in one foot out. In, yeah. And it's like, it's a weird place to be in, but it's also like maybe a cool place to be in because it gives you like a dual perspective on things. Yeah, man. But, um, it, it was nine 11, you know, when you first realize that you're something different than everyone else, like they treat you like something different. And like, I never really thought of myself as literally something that other people could see as different from them. Uh, well, I'm curious growing up in San Diego, did you ever get like mistaken for being Latino? A Mexican? Yeah. Oh, I still do, man. I get I can be anyone, really. For sure. Like, you are you are a little bit racially ambiguous in that way. Uh, um, I've had people think when I'm really tanned and I have my beard lined up in a certain way, I think people I've had people literally ask if I'm black. I've had people ask if I'm Brazilian, Mexican, uh, Russian. My brother swears I look like some southern you know hillbilly sometimes well, i don't he's know like, about dude, that he's, he's like you could be wearing my brother makes fun of me nonstop. that's his like personal favorite sure. pastime 
And he's like, bro, I can see you in like a metal band from like Alabama with like a trucker hat on. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, dude, you look like you can just be like that guy. He like a he he calls me a racist bassist. He's like, you look like you'd be a racist bassist in like a in like a crazy <laughs> southern metal band. He's like, <laughs> I do so think like, you have be. you have this sort of uh, I think just like aesthetically, but also just like your general vibe is sort of like. Um, yeah, it's American in the best way in the sense that like you seem like like when I first met you, you seemed very like someone who is probably like multi-ethnic, like multicultural background, um, which obviously isn't the case. But that was sort of just like that was my first perception of you was like, oh, you probably are like a mix of lots of different ethnicities and, and cultures and whatever, um, which is the case, I think, for a lot of, you know. Americans, uh, and, and people mm. of color in general. But yeah, in that sense, like I, one of my good friends growing up was half Filipino and sort of was similar to you in the sense that like he could be in like, just, he was a Brown kid who was not like easily identifiable in any particular bucket. So it was just mm. sort of like whatever people were thinking at the time mm. was what he was. Um, yeah. and it could be literally anything. So no, yeah, I get asked that all the time by everyone, even by other brown people. They're like, where are you from? I'm like, oh, California. And um, they're like, but where are you really from? And it's like literally everyone wants to know, not even just, you know, people of color want to know, old people, young people, women, men, doesn't matter. Because that's what they really want to know. Yeah. But you right. get asked it so often that I'm just like, oh, man, I'm from California. My parents are from Afghanistan. And I use it selectively. Like in the Czech Republic, um, everyone's like white here. It's like really white. It's a very homogenous society. They're not super mixed. And uh, it's a very racist country. It's one of the most racist countries in Europe, like continuously, like uh, consecutively rated in Europe as top three most racist countries among, with Poland and Hungary generally. Uh, like I had to watch billboards during the elections. There are giant billboards over major streets that for the presidential elections, they have like their own Trump here. And the, the, the campaign slogan was no Muslims, no immigrants. Whoa. And I'm just like, bro, there's no Muslims here. There's like five of us. Like, what are you guys yeah. talking about? Right. They're nothing. all my cousins and uncles. Like, <laughs> there's, there's, we're not here. Like, but, they're like, yeah, we want to keep it that way. And I was like, just, you have bigger things yeah. to worry about. Like how to make your food taste better. And a lot of things. <laughs> right. you know, like, and, and Muslims that are coming into Europe right now are not picking the Czech Republic. I mean, they're, they want Germany. They all yeah. want Germany. Yeah. That's what they want. What is that? What does that do for your psyche though? While you like seeing some shit like that, does it, does it bother you much at all? Or, or did I already knew these motherfuckers were racist, man. Yeah. I already knew it my whole life, man. They tell, they tell you the most racist shit here. Like, you know, like they're very uh, proud of their dark humor. They say they like to say, but it's, they're basically like, it's basically like a very alt-right country. So like it's, there's it's a bunch of pizza gators. Racism. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of pizza gators, QAnon type people here. Like they all believe in all the conspiracy theories and they're very much like, like the alt right, but as a country. Is there a lot of like censorship there as far as like what media comes in or is it all super um, open? No, no. In that sense, they're liberal. They want everything to be allowed. That's so interesting that like, it's a very much weird country in that There's sense. that much information available and, and yeah, it all yeah. goes like that no, they, way. They want it all to be allowed, but they're very conservative at the same time. So they're, it's a very weird country because 
they're accepting really of a lot of like, like, you know, liberal ideals. Like they want, you know, people to, they're very accepting of homosexuality, like officially and those kind of rights. But at the same time, they don't really like it. Like, yeah. On like paper, on, they want it. Right. The individual though, that you run into on the street is still going to be like, Oh, I don't really like get it In or Prague, I don't support it. But as yeah. a country, they're like policy yeah. wise, like we're going to policy wise, they're in there for it. But a lot of people just don't care, but like, there's a lot of definite toxic, toxic masculinity here. And they don't believe in that as a, like, I think probably one of the most hated things here is like a social justice warrior or someone who's labeled as that, you know, someone who stands up for progressive ideas. Yeah. Is there no, like Prague is a big city. Is there no like gay neighborhood in Prague or like, like, there's definitely gays up in here and it's mostly in Prague is where there's going to be that kind of stuff. Like Prague is the most liberal place in this whole country. Right. Um, like there's literally not a real mosque in this whole country. There's like, I think something like 3000 Muslims in this country. And, uh, they had at one point, like some, I think he was Kuwaiti or from the Emirates, rich guy wanted to come and donate like several million dollars to build a mosque. And, uh, they voted against it. They said, we don't want one of those. That's a trip because dude, San Diego County has to have more than 3000 Muslims. Oh, we have a shit ton of Muslims. Like, has to have way more. And I'm curious yeah, what what your experience was like growing up. I mean, San Diego is obviously, especially compared to, like, Orange County, uh, San Diego is is pretty diverse. But it's also still, like, has a pretty conservative, like, military thread running through it. So what was your experience like growing up there as, like, a Muslim and, like, yeah, as as the son of, like, you know, a first-generation American well, it was different, you know, like a lot of like microaggressions that I didn't realize were microaggressions as a youth, you know, um, definitely a lot of blatant racism that I just would, you know, you know, I'd always experienced it. I just didn't, I didn't try to let it bother me or I wasn't even aware of how bad it was. Is this, like, is this mostly post nine eleven that you start experiencing stuff or did you notice stuff while growing up your entire time? I think it mostly started to notice. I mean, it's hard to say. Like, for instance, I stopped doing the Pledge of Allegiance when I was like in grade five. Um, I wouldn't stand for it. And I got in big trouble for that. Like, the principal got involved in the school, and my parents were telling me, Why the fuck are you doing this? You know, and I just thought it was such a silly idea that I have to swear in it allegiance. Is and by the way, an insane thing way, that we do in America to think that that's what we that's, all. Grew up Dude, everyone doing that? thinks that's fucking insane. They think that it's wild. They're like, do you guys really do that every day in school? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, it's, dude, that's fucking crazy. It's bad shit. Crazy. It wasn't until I was much older, probably out of college, that I reflected upon that and was like, that's some weird totalitarian, like, crazy bullshit. It's that, very weird. It's super Everyone here weird. thinks it's very, very, very weird. Like, they're, they're very shocked. But, like, I was, like, in grade five when I stopped doing that because I felt like I was... I don't know. I was a kid and I was like, I don't swear allegiance to an inanimate object. Like I get that it means like the country or whatever, but I'm saying, I'm saying every single day I swear my allegiance to a flag. And I'm like, no, I, my allegiance is to my family, to God, to the country, of course. But it's like, this is a flag. It's a piece of cloth, you know, like I will always protect my home country, my homeland. You know, if anyone ever comes here to fuck with us, I'm, I'm, I'm holding it down. You know what I mean? That's it. You know, California, that's where I was raised. That's where I was born and bred. And that's it. I hold it down for California always. Never, no doubt about that. But uh, to, for me as a child, I, I recognized right away I didn't like that. And I was getting in trouble for that. And people were like, what's up with this kid, you know, and this and that. Causing but it wasn't a until ruckus. Grade, 
<laughs> yeah, I was making waves right away. And causing a ruckus as brown is like not great in America. Teachers um, hated me. Yeah, teachers hated well, me. Well, like you up. said, like I'm sure your parents were like kind of like yo like we're we're trying to fit in or assimilate in some way and you're making waves my parents were like please don't upset the white people (laughs) for sure and uh they literally would say to that extent like those kind of things like just get don't upset that's (laughs) that's a super common experience for not just like uh first generation americans but any person of color i've heard that so many times of being like yo just don't like don't rile up the white people just yeah yeah don't upset them because then it causes all kinds of problems. Uh, yeah. It's funny. Yeah. It's funny how it's really, it is similar for so many people like, um, but it was really nine 11 really that changed everything. So it's like, I was in class with a teacher, believe it or not. Her name was Mrs. Payne, Mrs. Garner Payne. Her name was Mrs. Payne, but she went by Garner Payne and, uh, she was famous for being the meanest teacher in the whole school. And, um, 9-11 happened and she wouldn't even let us watch it. Like she was like, nope, we're continuing with prepositions and, you know, adverbs and English, wow. you know? Wow. And we, I, so I had no perspective on what's actually happening. And then they let us out of school early and I walked home and it didn't hit me until I opened the door and my mom was in tears opening the door and I was like, what's going on? And then she showed me on TV and I was like, yo, this is fucking crazy. And seventh grade is also in San Diego County. And I don't know if it's the same in Colorado or in Corona where you learn about like Asian culture and you spend like a month learning about different Asian cultures. And one of those Asian cultures is like a Islam. You spend a month learning about it and which is kind of a very short amount of time to learn about like one fifth of the world, you know? Right. But, um, typical the, the, uh, American this, history. Yeah. The teacher basically decided to make me teach the class as a seventh grader. And she made every single attempt that she hated me. It was, she'd been hating me for a long time. You know, she was a black belt in karate. She rode a Harley to school. Uh, she was a real hard ass. And, um, she, uh, she, she would basically constantly make me the most visible Muslim person on campus. Like, well, he's the Muslim, like, and ask my opinion on everything that would happen. You're the authority. Oh, I literally taught the, I literally, I'm not even exaggerating, literally taught the class for a week in front of the class about Islam as a seventh grader after nine 11, instead of her Fuck. reading a book, like I would teach them the Arabic language. Cause I knew that a little bit. I would teach them how to write their names. I would teach them about the ideas of Islam. <laughs> you know, what's fucking and, wild about that is that you could have just been spouting off any bullshit. It seems like I probably, as, I probably was. And yeah, that yeah, seems like, like your brand to just be like, that, and I'm so also going to slide in some other shit just cause like, no, no, I no, but platform. on the real, I, I, I wasn't, I don't think I was, I was trying really hard cause I told my mom, I was like, yo, I'm really uncomfortable with this. And my mom was like, yo, you have a big responsibility right now. And my mom would basically sit with me for hours every night. And we would basically think of lesson plans Whoa. and practice what to teach. How do you feel she would like, be like this is important? Yeah. How do you feel like nine 11 affected your parents? huge my mom decided to start wearing the hijab like three months before 9-11 started no one in her family was ever wearing hijab okay. period except for when they're in afghanistan they would sometimes wear it loosely if they went to the mosque but in those days when she was in afghanistan no one was wearing it it was not that common especially in the kabul in the main city it was very like movie theaters clint eastwood movies things like that and um she decided to wear start wearing the hijab when i was in seventh grade 
And like three or four months later, 9-11 happened and everybody was begging her to take it off. Like she chose it on herself. What do you she think? Had like a couple of, what do you think informed that choice for her to, I can't say exactly, but her relationship with God started getting a lot closer sometime after my uncle died. And I think it was the first death of her siblings. Um, and then it was like a couple several years, Genesis of, uh, getting closer to God and getting more spiritual. And, um, that's just have being fucking strong in your shit, dude. Yeah, for dude, sure. Everyone was begging her to that, take it off. That's amazing, dude. That's and she I wouldn't. And to yeah. this day, she hasn't. I fucking love that, dude. Damn. Did um, you did you take away a lot from that, either now or even at that time? My mom's like my angel, dude. She's one of the strong, the strongest person I've ever met, and the purest hearted person I've ever met. She literally wishes nothing but good for anyone she meets. She's constantly praying for everyone. Fuck yeah. Uh, everyone she knows, like, and she's literally saved my life on multiple occasions um, from just drowning in myself, you know? Yeah. So she's a, she's really like a big rock for me, you know? Like she raised me mostly. Uh, my dad obviously worked really hard. He was working hard, really long time to provide for us, but that caused him to be away for a long time. Right. So it was mostly mom who raised me. And, uh, I love my dad. You know, he's done so much good and he's a great man and he's done, you know, right. I was really blessed to have him. But it's a cultural difference. Uh, just, I think even just a generational difference, even my father was like very much, uh, I need to provide as much for the family. Like it's more important that I provide for the family than that. I am like home every night for dinner. Um, yeah. which, that's a man's thing in the old days. That's exactly. That's just sort of what it was. And it doesn't, it's same thing for me. It doesn't mean that my dad was, was a shitty dad. He's a nope. wonderful dad and he's, and he's given me so much. And every time that he was physically present, he was a great father. But like, yeah, it was a very much like, it's a generational thing of just like, that's what it meant to provide for your family was like, you, you put the shit on the table, like, and then some. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, I would, I would basically like, I would basically be like, kind of like targeted for being Muslim quite often. And I didn't realize that they were like microaggressions back then. And maybe they're not in some, to some, extent, but to some extent they are like, I guess like it would be like, I don't know, like literally right after nine 11, the next day, like I literally had people ask me what was my family doing? Like where, was my family involved? Do we know any terrorists? Just really things dumb like this. Fucking so that's questions. not a microaggression. That's just a straight up yeah. aggression. I no, mean, yeah, that's... That, that is that's a straight up. But then it would be things like Wally knows Iranian. He can be the Iranian trans. Wally knows Farsi. He can be the translator for the new Iranian exchange student. So let's remove him from the lab group he's been a part of for the last month, and put him with the person who is brand new, who doesn't know what the class has been doing. And now I'm like, I don't want to be the fucking translator. I was literally in a group where I was very happy. I wasn't particularly science, like great in physics and all this back then. I'm much better now. Um, and like things like that, or like I would have like, I don't know, I don't know what to call it, but it would be like me and a friend of mine would be, who's my buddy. Who's like, you know, homecoming King, uh, star athlete, white guy would get in trouble for the same thing. And the teacher would punish me, but not him. And I would, she would make us do pushups. She'd be like, all right, go outside and do pushups. Then she, we'd go outside and start doing pushups. And it's not even a PE class. This was just her thing. And, 
uh, once we start the push, she'd come outside and be like, hey, to my friend, she'd be like, hey, you're, you're, you, you hurt your back last week in that game, right, a little bit. He's like, yeah, he's like, how's it feel? I'm like, no, no, no. Better. He's like, all right, you go ahead. You go back in class. Wally, go do push-ups. And I'm just like, man, what the fuck? His back ain't hurt. Yeah, man. I was just playing ball with him yesterday, man. Like, do these push-ups. And it was constantly things like this. and Some damn. serious biases. Those don't seem like, yeah, like, those don't seem yeah. like microaggressions. Cool. Like, it got worse in high school, man. Like, people were hating me for fasting during Ramadan, during football, because I was a football player. And Ramadan was always during season. So I'll be running sprints while no water, no food, all this. And I was always a starter and I would be making numbers and making plays. But once Ramadan would kick in, I was good enough to start still for the most part. Usually I would still be a starter, but I wasn't really a playmaker no more. Right. And my coaches definitely didn't like that. And oh, I bet. especially when like, you're the only fucking, it's not like there were six of you who were all great athletes and like starters who were doing this together. It's just you. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And like they would, you know, they would make me do things like run with the team to get water. Wait, and then so run back. With Ramadan, I guess I didn't realize that fasting meant I thought it was just food from from sunup no, till sundown. It's, it's everything. So that whole it's time even, it's sex, no sex while the sun's up, no cursing, no anger, um no uh bad deeds, uh nothing can pass your mouth except for air. If the air is very dusty, you should cover your mouth. No smoking. Uh, so if you're a smoker, that becomes difficult, you know? For sure. Um, definitely the water is the hardest. The water and the coffee is the hardest part for me now. But in general, I'm very used to it. You know, I was running sprints in hot San Diego heat. Yes, uh, insane, man. And, uh, I can't imagine doing any, like, high school athletics, uh, like varsity-level athletics, and not drinking water during practice i can't imagine no, doing they, any athletics uh, adult athletics oh, and not well, drinking especially water. now <laughs> now i can't imagine i don't know how i did it i think i almost died plenty of times and, and my coaches would tease me with water here and there um that's some shit they go to jail really for good now. coaches though dude i mean i had some really blatant racism man i remember in senior year i got my license late my, my driving license i got it in my senior year of high school most people got it junior year and some people got it sophomore year um, but I got it in my senior year and I remember the first time I took my test, I failed it. And I told my coach, yo coach, I'm going to be late to practice today. Cause I'm going to go take my driving test. He's like, all right, that's cool. Uh, I was like, I'll be like, I'll be there at three. I'll be there at like three 30, you know, something like that. You know, practice usually starts at three and, uh, I come to practice. It's Ramadan. I'm fasting. And basically a couple hundred yards from where everyone's practicing is the entrance and everyone can see whoever enters the stadium and I'm entering and the whole team is there and they could see me entering with my pads, my gear and everything. And about 50 yards out, the coach yells out, did you pass? And I was like, nah. And the whole team kind of chuckled. And then the coach yelled out, I guess Allah doesn't want you to do no car bombings, huh? Holy and the shit. The whole dude. team started laughing and I was just shocked. I was Holy just like, my God. shit. I was just like, didn't know what to say. Everyone was laughing. Like, no one was not laughing. Like, every single person was well, laughing. Yeah, and I, I was mean, just like, yeah, the, fuck. I laughed at a lot of dumb up. shit when I was fucking 15, too. Because you don't, like, understand the, the impact of something. But you think the adult that's leading these fucking young men would have the uh, wherewithal nah. to, to not be the one Dude. to fucking put you out there like that. 
That's fucked. Yeah. Also terrible that you failed your driver's license, too. Yeah, it was really sucks. bad. Yeah, it was an insult to injury, literally. It was <laughs> really bad. Insult to injury. I failed my fucking driver's test five times because I got so much anxiety doing the test every time. Fine driver. Yeah, yeah great driver. Fine driver. I just, every time I did something stupid where I'd like end up parked at a red light in the crosswalk and they're just like, that's automatic fail. And I'm just like, all right. <laughs> Well, it's been I fun. caught an automatic fail too, man. Fuck, dude. It's I caught an automatic. These sons of bitches tricked me, man. It was a red light. And you know how like sometimes there's like a little bit of room to turn right? Yeah. It's like you're not properly on the road. Maybe you're driving on the bike lane a little bit. But right, it's like, right. you know, you can go. But it was kind of it was kind of slim. And I was like, I'm just going to wait right here for the light to turn green. He's like, no, you got room. Go. And the light was red. So I was like, okay. And I like kind of like was going slowly because I'm a new driver. I'm not that comfortable of going course, this yeah. with the cars. And I'm going slowly trying to make sure not to hit the cars in the sidewalk and the curb. And I guess the light had turned green right when I got there. So I stopped the car and I, cause I thought it was red still. And then he's like, it's green go. And I was like, Oh shit. And so I turn my blinker and I go. And then we continued the test and he's like, yeah, you did well, but you stopped at a green light. So that's an automatic fail. And Damn. I was like, man, that shit was green for half a second, bro. And he's like, nah. Yeah, that's some like, shit so that, that could happen to any, would happen to me right now as a good driver. Yeah. Dan would just dude. be like. And then I came to practice yeah, and green. this shit happened. Fucking A. Uh, but these brutal, coaches, man, dude. most of them, most of them were pretty racist against everyone that wasn't like, uh, you know, you could be, they, they definitely hated white, white kids as well. Like yeah. if you were like any kind of rebellious, they would hate you too. It, but it was a fucking was style the, of coaching at like yeah. for a long time, I think to, to, but use. the only kids who got kicked off the team were Brown and black kids ever. And I was one of them and I was a starter and he kicked me off the team for goofing off at a fundraiser. He just came up to me during the summer. He's like, yeah, uh, I gave your jersey away to a sophomore. Well, it's, uh, and uh, I, was, I was always number 56 since freshman year. Uh, like junior, like, uh, like all these people. You know, I was a great linebacker number, defensive player number. And uh, he gave my jersey away. He's like, yeah, you know what? I saw you goofing around too much. And he kicked my other Palestinian homie off. And then he kicked like uh, an Iranian dude off. And when he kicked the Iranian dude off, that guy was not good enough to start. And he was never, almost barely ever played a game. But we love that guy. And we knew he needed us more than we needed him. So we basically, the whole team fought the coach and said, you have to reinstate him. And they reinstated him. Yeah. Um, but like the only kids who ever got kicked off the team were Brown kids. And I, and I mean, I didn't do nothing bad. I was just goofing off at a fundraiser at like a fair, you know? And, uh, he was like, no, nah, you're just goofing off too much. And I was like, you, he's like, you off the team. So like, he's like, you have to work your way to be back on this team. You know? And like, shit was whack as hell. I mean, I had a cheerleader ask me to homecome and, and he literally looked disgusted when he found out. He's like, I can't believe she would like go with you. And I was like, what the fuck? And then he was like, just make sure you wouldn't do anything Muhammad wouldn't do. Jesus Christ. And I was man. like, what the fuck, man? Just Are a serious, fucking bro? gross abuse of power in that position too, where you can, um, you know, single out maybe the minority kids and, yeah. and, and no one kind of blinking an eye about it and just being like oh yeah they probably were causing trouble you know it's fu that, that's super fucked man and man it's going on all the time they got this instagram group right now and it's called black and pusd and pusd is the power unified school district which is like a nationally recognized amazing school district this is a school district i was part of and uh basically the page is basically people of color sharing their experiences of racism microaggression stuff like that in the school system where I lived and every day there's like 15 new posts and, 
Yeah, because this is a it's big huge. school it's, district. So yeah, I'm, yeah it's, I'm it's, familiar. it's blowing up right now. Yeah. And uh, I haven't shared my story. I don't think I will. And I definitely, I could probably make a ruckus about this, but what's the point? He's got three kids that are like 10, 12, 13 years old. I'm supposed to like try to what ruin his life now over some shit he said to me when I was 12, 15 years old. Yeah. And then his kids that. are going to have to pay the price for that. Like I would rather contact him, have a sit down and be like, you know, why did you think that was okay? And you know, stuff like that and not make it public because just kind of like ruining his life or canceling him, whatever. Yeah. What's not going to get, make my life any better. It's not going to make his life any better. In fact, it might make his kids hate, people of color more for sure ruining his daddy's life yeah and you're gonna have to deal with a bunch of attention from that that you probably don't want yeah man if someone ruined my life if i was someone who did that kind of shit and i mean i've done fucked up shit in my life i'm not a saint and someone came out yeah and someone came out 10 12 years later and got me in trouble for that i'll start thinking about fucking this dude up somehow if he like got my got me fired from my job and now i'm on welfare and like you know my kids can't eat i'll be thinking about revenge maybe I'll I be hear like, how can I get this motherfucker back? Yeah. And I don't want no one coming after me. I don't want to look behind my back. I'm very laid back. I don't want none of that. You know, uh, they, everyone wants all the smoke these days and I don't want none of that. I don't, I don't even smoke a vape. Yeah. Um, do you growing up? Did you, did you connect heavy to the, the spirituality and, and the religion from a pretty young age? Yeah. No. Yeah. And no, um, I uh, definitely always believed in God, and I think that um, it was. I don't know exactly why. I mean, I know why because I was I was born and raised as a Muslim. My parents raised me as a Muslim, but uh, I know plenty of people who also were in that situation who didn't have any spiritual connection, and um, who you know to this day are not very spiritual. They say like, "Oh, you know, I'm like culturally Muslim, but I'm not. I don't practice and stuff like that." Uh, and I think that goes for a lot of different religions or creeds or whatever, but, um, I always had a strong belief in some things that I, it just couldn't make sense to me that we would just come from nothing. I felt like there has to be some greater power in this universe. And, uh, I was scared a lot as a kid. I was frightened constantly. I was plagued by night terrors and nightmares and, you know, child's play Chucky just fucking ruined my childhood. Like I was... <laughs> waking up every night he was there like that dude was trying to kill me you know what i mean like and religion gave me a lot of comfort and peace like i could i could pray and not be scared anymore and you know whether or not you believe in it or nothing i think something like that that can like calm down a frightened child is a is a is a, is a nice thing well, you're, you're stepping into like some sort of presence, I think, in that moment when you start to pray, especially if you're like doing it out loud, you're at least in that moment and not mm-hmm. just laying in bed terrified of of Chucky dolls yeah. coming out of the closet. And yeah, shit. I think there's also just like... Why a, were they always in the closet? They were always in the closet. I don't <laughs> yeah, know why. Or under the bed. It's a good place to hide. Um, I do think there's like a psycho-spiritual somatic component to just prayer in prayer or meditation, like those two terms get thrown out a lot in like the new age spiritual world is sort of like almost synonymous with each other. But I do think that it's something that just like it pulls you into the present, which is something that Dan and I have talked a lot about being like, that is the encounter with God is the present moment. And like prayer is a practice that can pull you into that even when you're a young kid. So it makes sense that again, no matter where, 
what you believe that's stemming from, whether it's pure, just like biology and psychology, or there is a spiritual component to it. Um, it, the outcome is still the same. Mm-hmm. So sort of just works. I actually remember Wally, I just remembered having a conversation with you. It was probably like my junior year, maybe my sophomore year. I don't know. But I just remember having a conversation with you at one point. Um, and I, I don't know if you'll remember this, but yeah, we were sort of just having a, a philosophical discussion on what the possible point would be to being atheist. Mm-hmm. Like, what is what is the value in just, yeah. And, and I, yeah, it's sort of just like almost a nihilistic approach to life and meaning and reality. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we, I, th- I just remember like. Do you remember what we said? I just remember I, 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 you planting a seed in my head that, I, that I've definitely carried with me, which is sort of like, I probably most use this when I'm talking about whether or not free will exists. So I'll use mm-hmm. that example, um, which is basically like, you know, let's say that scientists came out today and they were like, we have irrefutable proof that there is no free will. Every action mm-hmm. that we make is predetermined. I would still be like, okay, that, that can be physically true, but like, I'm going to go ahead and believe that I do have free will because it's going to make my life have meaning. So why, mm. why would I buy into this other thing that's going to strip all meaning from my life? And I feel like atheism is sort of the same way where it's like, yeah, to just run that hard line and just strip reality of any possible meaning beyond the scientific method feels pretty fruitless uh, in terms of like, yeah, it just sort of closes you off to any of the like magic of all of this. I guess it would, it could be. I mean, I couldn't say how an atheist feels. I, I like to try to empathize with people as much as possible. So I think for an atheist, I would I would have to imagine that they would feel that by not believing in a god, they're truly believing in themselves only, which would give their life to themselves more meaning. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. That I, I can imagine them feeling that way. That by believing that this is the only life that you're gonna get, that it gives their life even more meaning. They might argue that by believing in an afterlife, you're actually lessening the meaning of your life. Sure. Whereas a religious person might say that because there is an afterlife, the meaning of this life changes from what you would think because you're going for a different goal for it afterwards. For sure. I think and even though even removing afterlife from the equation, um, allowing life to be sort of imbued and infused with like spiritual, um, spiritual truths and mysteries um, gives it like so much meaning, you know, mm-hmm. afterlife aside. Because I think for me, and I think if you... Uh, like speaking of like Christianity and Jesus's teachings, mm-hmm. I think that you could read a lot of what he said and not pull away an afterlife from that. Like, yeah, he talks about the kingdom of heaven and he talks about something, but I think he's talking more from like a, a mystical perspective in terms of like sort of this um, like sort of esoteric, almost like occult understanding of, of, life where it's like you have to like die before you die 
so that you can truly live while you're alive. And I think Mm. that was more what Jesus was about was like, you have to find the kingdom of heaven in the now. And the way that you do that is by dying to yourself. Um, Mm. And then you can like truly be present and be fully alive and experience heaven on earth, you know, before, before it passes away. And that's where I think like, yeah, atheists miss that sort of core piece in terms of like just centering their own thing as like the, yeah, I don't know. I I think there are still like tons of atheists out there that are very like, um, serving to their communities and care about people, obviously. Um, sure. Yeah. Of course. I know some really solid dudes who are atheists. Yeah, of course. Of Um, course. I just think that like spiritually it, it does seem sort of like a closed loop for me. Um, and, and Mm. potentially like not nearly as fruitful. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you think it's possible though, that a lot of these people are engaging in things that, that are spiritual and they just don't like label it as that or recognize it to be that something. If you're a good person, something is feeding your soul, you know, like something spiritual is getting in there. There's quite a bit of things that I didn't know as a younger person was like a spiritual thing to me. Like even something like exercise or like playing hockey, what playing hockey has become to me is like, yeah, that place is like, that's my church. And I go in there and most of the time, like 95% of the time I'm like pretty present and not thinking about any, any bullshit outside of, of those like four walls. So Mm. I, I wonder how many people that like identify that way, just maybe have these things that, that probably are like working in a spiritual way. They just don't like identify it as that way. Like as that, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're considering spiritualism, like, um, being mindful as spiritualism or being present, as you were saying before, then in that respect, then definitely there's, that's, that's a healthy thing to do regardless of your religion or whatever. And, um, that's what I was trying to explain to one of my buddies here out in Prague. He's a, he's Turk. And, uh, you know, obviously he's from a Muslim country. There's definitely a lot of other religions there, but you know, it's a majority Muslim country. And he's like, uh, sort of someone who's, when I first met him was proudly saying he's atheist. And I was explaining to him the benefits of prayer and, um, as a Muslim from my perspective. And, uh, I was explaining to him that when I was a kid, you know, I would rush through the prayers and be like zooms. I'm trying to get it done as fast as possible, moving through the motions as they say. And, um, as I got older, I realized the benefit in prayer and I'm not the best Muslim. I'm not a perfect Muslim by any means. And, uh, you know, I'm just a work in progress and I'm trying to be better every day. But one of the good things about as a Muslim, we pray five times a day. And, uh, I was explaining to him that, the act of prayer as a Muslim involves a lot of postures and they're kind of like stretching postures. You're doing a lot of these postures, even in yoga. And, um, the act of doing that five times a day has a physical benefit for your body. It's stretching. And the main goal, one of the main goals in a Muslim prayer is to not have any distractions is to focus on the recitation and the meaning behind your prayer. And, it's a very hard thing to do. And one of the hadiths, the the prophet was asking all of his companions to perform the prayer without any kind of distractions. They would receive a gift of some sort. And I don't want to quote this wrong. So uh, I hope I don't, you know, but 
almost no one could do it. I think no one did it because the person who got closest, I believe, was Omar. And uh, Omar, at the end, he admitted that at the end, I I thought I got distracted and thought about how I'm probably going to be the one who's going to get the reward, the gift, you know. And that was me being distracted during the prayer. And the point I was trying to get to with that is with him is that as I after years of yoga practice and meditation, you know, one of the big things you try to do is clear your mind of all thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. and that act in and of itself is a very ex- strong exercise is a strong exercise for your mind. Is for it, sure. You guys got pe- you guys got no, pizza coming or No, I think I think someone's people are doing like some hammering, hanging something oh, up. Um, like, sorry, well, sorry about that. It's interesting though that you mentioned that because a big revelation that I had just in the last year, probably this last November, was that yeah, this act of trying to clear your mind through meditation or prayer um to me, I always sort of conceptualize that as like, I need to get, like, I need to step out of myself. I need to be out of myself, out of my body, whatever. But I quickly realized as I started to like access those states that it's actually about stepping into yourself. So like mm-hmm. in doing those, like, you know, your prayers as a Muslim, like, um, with all of those stretches, like, it seems like there's this important component of like, you need to get into your body. You don't step out of your body to clear your mind. You step into your body, into your being, into the present moment to clear your mind. That's how you do it. Because mm. if you step outside, is when you have that thought of like, "Oh shit, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna yeah. win this. I think I'm gonna be number one, whatever." Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think that that's really interesting that there's this like the, all of these body movements tied in uh, with, and with the, the further the further part. I mean, definitely that like. It's a very much a meditation thing, and 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 the the, second, the third part I was mentioning to him, my friend, about the benefits of it is that there's five of them a day, and what that does, you know, there's one for the sunrise, there's one for around noon, there's one for the afternoon, there's one for sunset, and there's one for the evening, and uh, what that does is it organizes and regiments your day, and it requires you to have discipline. And the good, the thing about good habits and the thing about bad habits is they, they have a synergistic effect and they're always building upon each other. So when you're doing a bad habit, it allows you to do more bad habits easily. Uh, when you do good habits, when you make good habits, uh, it allows you to build better, good habits easily. You know, you'll notice that someone who's very punctual, very hardworking, they didn't just one day wake up and do that. It was years of habitual hard work right. and punctuality. And it's also reflected in the rest of their life. It's not like they're mm. all of these other things, but they just happen to be super punctual and hardworking at the same yeah. time. Yeah. These things build off each other. And a benefit of, you know, you praying for five times a day on time because it's about time as well as earnest sincerity and, and, and in presentness is that it teaches you from a young age uh, these good habits of discipline, of regimentation, of organization, and of clearing your mind and of, you know, cleaning, being fucking clean. Yeah. We have to, we, we clean ourselves before prayer. So we're actually literally bathing five times Fuck, a day. Man. It's great for Corona <laughs> times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're washing our hands like a motherfucking man. I'm yeah. telling you. I have, yeah, I have a lot of respect for that, that part of the faith, man. I, I dig that because it must like really kind of keep you grounded most of the time too and keep you in check with your shit. And like you're saying, you're like literally cleaning yourself and cleansing yourself of some things and uh yeah that's just 
it's gotta yeah, be I mean, gotta be helpful and discipline man we've been talking about discipline a lot on this podcast i think it's mostly come up because we've had quite a few mormon guests on the podcast now and like that's a pretty rigid religion to grow up in as far as you know the the root the daily yeah the practices practices and and uh yeah some of the things that they abide by and we've just talked about how how good that discipline can be whether these people identify with that religion now or not like they definitely mm. seems like a majority of them are definitely pulling something from from that discipline for sure in that structure what do you guys think about mormons um i mean i i think that uh that they're some of the nicest people like i've encountered uh yeah, they're some of the some nicest of, they get a lot of hate they get a lot of hate yeah, but they're um, some of the nicest most genuine yeah. kindest individuals also like, like some of the most talented people i know like i've we've talked about it a lot too on the podcast is like most of the people we've had on are musicians and not just like decent like musicians, musicians like really fucking good musicians and uh yeah i don't know man like it I've learned so much from those episodes. Like I'm learning like right now, like doing this with you and especially having maybe four or five different people on and speaking to their experiences. And like, I don't know, man, we had my buddy Seth on and I knew him when he went on his, I grew up with him and I knew him when he went on his mission. I thought he was fucking crazy. Like at 18, I'm just like, you're fucking crazy, man. You're going to, you're going to go do this thing. And like, I just had no understanding of it. And now like, I'm joking how I want to like sign up to be Mormon so I can go on a mission now. Like, I just like, yeah, think and when that we that chatted that with him, he was like one of the most like grounded, spiritually solid dudes I've met in a long time. Yeah. You know, so they get a lot of hate. Yeah, they do. They do, but they're and, fucking. Uh, they they to have. a lot of people, to a lot of people, their views sound really wacky. But I believe that Jesus is coming back. So how can I judge anyone? You know what I mean? Sure. I believe that Jesus is coming back after thousands of years still. So I can't judge no one. You know what I mean? And all I can judge people by, and it's what I tell people that you should judge people by. Definitely not South Park. Definitely not the news. You got to judge people by the people you know. And if you don't know, if you don't know someone, if you haven't met someone, you haven't interacted with someone or some of these people, you shouldn't build such a strong opinion on these people. You know what I mean? You can maybe think about something in passing, but what's the point of building such a strong, passionate opinion about something you don't even understand? And how can you understand something without ever having encountered someone? So when people ask me about Muslims and this, I'm like, man, how many, what's up with all these Muslim countries, man? They, they're doing the genital mutilations on the women and, and they making them wear the head wraps and uh, y'all be killing up motherfuckers all the time. And like, what's up with y'all? I'm like, man, how many Muslims you know? How For many sure. Muslims you met? And what kind of folks are they? And, and so when uh, I ask people about Mormons, I defend Mormons all the time because people be like, oh man, they crazy, bro. They like having eight wives and uh, they believe in like space planets and shit. It's like a science fiction book. And I'm like, man, how many Mormons you know? Dude, I know a gang of Mormons. There's so and many. I'll tell you what. There's so many dope levels to that universe. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's, we've learned there's a lot of dope levels to that, that planet situation. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of cool, cool shit going on there. Um, but yeah. also, it's just, it's just the thing of like extremism within any of these religions is like not great, you know. And yeah, I mean, and most man, of the people within the, the religion key. don't stand for that. 
Like most Christians are, are not down with the Christian extremists. Most fucking Muslims are not down with the Islamic extremists. Most Mormons are not down with the polygamists and the Mormon extremists. Like mm-hmm. they're, those are all fringe groups. So like you said, until you like get to know people that are actually in that community, if you are holding those super strong beliefs that the extremes are the norm, your mind is never going to be changed because you don't actually mm. fucking know anything. Man, I'm, I'll tell you what, man. My family moved into a new house like three, four years ago. And we didn't have no furniture, nothing. We had a couple things. We were just kind of holding on to the house for a little bit, but I was staying there. And one day I got a knock on the door. And it's a couple of missionaries. And they're like, hey, man, what's up? We wanted to talk to you about Jesus. And I was like, uh, man, I'm a Muslim, bro. You ain't got no shot. You know, I know all about Jesus, too. You know, like, I'm not converted. But I like Mormons. I got a lot of Mormon friends. You guys, it's really hot. Y- y'all look thirsty. You want some water? And they're like, yeah, we'll take some water. And I gave them some water. I was like, man, you guys having a good day? And I was talking with them and everything. And they're like, yeah, I mean, we noticed you guys are moving in. Like, do you guys need any help moving anything? And I was like... Nah, you know, we don't really got nothing to move right now. He's like, well, you know what, man? Take our car, dude. We're always in the area. So if you guys ever need help moving in, just give me a ring, bro. It's all good. We'll come. We'll help you out. You know, like I was like, hey, man, I appreciate that. I might hit you up on that. A couple years later, my family moved to a new spot. And I'm in Prague. And my dad called me. He's like, bro, man, I got all this shit to move in. And all these guys being lazy. You can't get them help. And I was like, man, if you want, I can call some Mormons for you. They'll help you out real quick. I got the <laughs> card still. And my dad was laughing. And actually, our general contractor, because we build our homes that we live in usually, and the general contractor for our home that was working, he's a Mormon. He's a great guy, hardworking guy. And my dad, my dad told him this story that I said. He was like, yeah, my son, I was talking to my son about the moving. And he was like, yeah, if you want, I can call some Mormons to come out. They're, they're good folks. And yeah, man. this guy... This guy laughed so hard, and he was like, man, I'm going to tell my church about this. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I mean, and that's, I don't know, just even learning, like, talking to a couple people about their missions, it's like, they don't spend their entire time, like, proselytizing. Like, they're, they only they're, spend a small amount of time knocking on doors. Yeah, like, a lot of times they're just trying to, like, do good for the community and meet people in the communities that they are in, and... uh yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's. I Mormons think, are good folks, man. Yo, I think it's like even. It sucks that that's even it has to be like a question. Like, what do you think of Mormon people? Like, even that we like are even thinking under those like those well, parameters. Well, because South Park, people hate on them. You know. I don't know. I I mean, true. Yeah, yeah, and Book of Mormon and For stuff. Sure. But I feel like book like South Park goes after like everybody. So I don't know like how much of it is just sure. South Park, but I understand what you're saying about that. But I do think that they are definitely alien, like alienated as as the weird Christian like subculture. For sure. Have you guys ever seen the show uh, Three Wives, One Husband? No, I I think really? I, I think that's... I think I've seen like some episodes of that. It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's pretty good. My girlfriend hates it. <laughs> we, watched, it, we watched a couple episodes a documentary series about on, a polygamist uh, about polygamist families in utah Fuck. and it really gets you like an inside scoop on how they're running and um they look like they're pretty good i don't see those women being very oppressed or nothing most of them look pretty happy they all got their own home each of the wives has their own house for sure and they got a system going on and as long as no women is being oppressed I don't think I have the right to tell someone how they can love whatever personally. If they're signing um, up for it too, like willingly signing up. 
there needs to be a system to make sure no one's being exploited for sure but i don't i don't agree with government having control over who gets to marry who period i th right um, except above the age of 18 obviously sure. you should be adult i agree with that i think the the argument would be that the the system of polygamy itself is oppressive exactly it could so it's be, not yeah, that, so yeah, women within that system might be making yeah. the choice, but they were brought up within a system that exactly. is itself oppressing them. That's a problem. That's why I, it's a complicated issue. I'm not saying it should be legal, but it I never met polygamists. Sure. I never met a polygamist personally. So the main, uh, the main, I don't know how to say it. Well, you just dropped that as one of your main rules. It's like, don't fucking judge shit that you don't know anything about. Exactly. On and a personal I don't know level. Yeah. So... I don't know any, but I've seen the show and they seem just like regular folks. Just except for he has three wives and he built a home by himself, by his hands for each one of them. And they're nice houses. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Big love and, style, dude. Dude, these girls are explaining how they see it. And the girl was like, okay, so like basically the guy has three wives. His name is like, I don't know, Jeremiah or some shit, right? And uh, he was like... Yeah, I'm thinking about getting my fourth wife. So we're in the courting phase right now. She's coming to meet the family. And uh, it's pretty wild, dude, to be honest. Like, the girl's young. She's like 25, 26, and he's like 45. He's a strapping dude at 45. He's building homes by his own hand, doing whatever, whatever, right? And the girl's, like, talking with the other wives. And then she's like, you know, it was really cool because, like, I've been dating other guys. And I think she said she was married once or something. She's like, you know, you don't really know what you're getting into. And then I was able to talk with these other wives, and I – could 100% get a story behind like what kind of husband he's going to be. And I was like, eh, she's making some good arguments. This one, <laughs> she's making me feel like it's not all bad, but I definitely see what Andrew said, which is like there's systems of oppression built in this that can become systemic and that will remove the voice from women. And then will they allow a woman to have four husbands? You know right. what I mean? For sure. Is that a thing that can happen? Yeah, from like, an equity perspective, it seems a little mm -hmm. fucked in that sense. Yeah. And I think that definitely. that's a that's an issue in any sect of faith. Judaism, Islam, mm -hmm. Mormonism, Christianity, whatever. Like this mm -hmm. idea that like women are shouldn't have a seat at the table is definitely yeah. like an issue. For sure. You know, yeah. I think that that's like also just like within most religions too, is just like there there's like always groups of people that people don't align with like especially like right. there's and a, i'm not there's a, saying that every christ like christian or muslim or mormon or whatever or jew like believes that but there is just like there's always those extreme fringes that are like oh yeah no like definitely not women or yeah. definitely not like if you're some mormons are like definitely not people of color like cannot be mormon like you know For there's sure. just like always the fringes that like will use the existing system and and like apply it correctly in an oppressive way. Right. And that's when you start to question the system itself where you're like, well, if it can be applied logically in that way, then what does that say about the system itself? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Anyways, I'm not trying I mean, to tear shit down right now. But... I think it probably shouldn't be legal in this country. Like, like because of what you said, it can be like very exploitative and, uh, I, until they figured out a way where, it, I mean, like, man, imagine there's a, like, like imagine this, you can easily imagine a scenario where there's like, there's a lot of polyamorous people these days. And what if there's like a triplet, I don't know how they call themselves, three people who are in love with each other. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Two girls and one guy, two guys and one girl, three guys, three girls. 
they've been maybe best friends their whole lives. They're in love with each other. They're sleeping with each other. They live their lives together. What if they all wanted to get married? They couldn't get married. You know what I mean? It's, dude, this is so bad. The Muslim guy is saying like, yeah, you should be able to have all as many wives as you want. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's, I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you. Know, I'm I was, about it. Like, uh, yeah. It's, it's and giving I'm, people the ability to do whatever they want to do. And like in that regard, I think, I think where people get scared of that is like, I don't know. Maybe they get, they get paranoid that it's like, yo, are we going to, are 15 people going to get married? And then all of a sudden, like they have some weird rights as spouses. Like we're, we're claiming 15 spouses and, yeah. and shit like that. Or and then people are going to be thing, like, man. you're going to allow people to marry animals next. And yeah, I mean, it's a weird thing. I mean, I don't give a shit. I kind of feel like, yeah, if there's three people that really want to fucking tie their lives together right. like that. The cat can't consent to marriage, then, but then, if people want to do it, then that's totally fine. Yeah. It's just weird. It's mm. like, do you, is it, are they all married to each other kind of separately? Like you're married to each yeah. of those people or is it like this weird triangle like contract? Hmm. I think what they need to do is remove like the tax benefits and government aspect of marriage and just kind of give that to anyone. Yeah. You know what, what I mean? What the fuck is the point and of then that? Just let marriage just be a spiritual thing by itself. Like I'm doing this life bond with this person. And then if they want to have a prenuptial agreement for divorce uh, purposes, then they can do that. Yeah. You know, like, but like, yeah, I but know even, people, even I, then it should just be divorce would be way more chill if marriage was not a, a government contract. Also, if like, because yeah. then, because then divorce wouldn't be so fucking binding. Divorce is such a nightmare because now you have to figure out like, well, technically we're split 50, 50 on everything that we own. And now we have mm -hmm. to like parse it all out. Whereas like, you know, I was in a long relationship that ended and like, we owned a ton of shit together and we had to like, mm. just figure that out between yeah. the two of us. And we did it. So yeah, I don't know. Part of me sort of feels like if you did take the government aspect out of that, then maybe that would be a good thing for the institution yeah. of marriage. Also, overall. you find out. Also, you find out like how the lawyers play off each other in divorce cases. It's a whole industry, and it's just like they they back and forth each other on purpose to keep these things going to make money. Oh, those guys are leeches, man. Yeah, lawyers are crazy for sure. I was about to be one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're not a leech. Which I was about to be one. We've gotten that was a long tangent on. I don't even know how we got started on that, but let's go back to like, you were sort of, I mean, I guess the last thing we we're sort of talking about was like just the practice of prayer and how that has sort of mm -hmm. informed your spiritual upbringing. So um, yeah, like I was praying when I was young and, um, even in high school, like I've had, I guess my like religiosity, if that's a word, um, has its ups and downs, you know? And for instance, like I would be rushing through prayers as a teen and then I would get more religious. Like for instance, well, you guys have Sunday school, right? Bible study, these kind of things growing up. And, uh, we have, we had like Saturday school. So it'd be like on Saturday, because that's the first free day you have after school, you'd meet up somewhere like at the mosque and they teach classes on like read how to read Arabic and how to read the Quran and what the meaning of the Quran is and prayers and stuff like this. And, um, <clears throat> I, uh, I'd been going to that for so long and around the time I was like 15, I was like growing hair on my face. I was like having a beard and I was a big, strong football player. And I was like, didn't, I was partying. I did whatever the fuck I wanted. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to this anymore. I told my parents, I'm not going to this anymore. 
And I was like, uh, yeah, I just rather sleep on Sundays or Saturdays because I have football practice Monday through Friday and Saturday I'd rather just chill. And, um, around my senior year of high school, I was looking back at myself and I was thinking like, man, I've been studying the Quran for like most of my life. And I never actually finished the book. And that really kind of didn't sit well with me that I had been studying this book for so long and I never actually read it from front to back and tried to understand it. And I was like, you know what? I, uh, I called up my old religious teacher and I used to be like, and I was like, Hey, like, can I, can I come study with you again as a senior in high school? And I was like, yeah, I'd like to finish. I'd like to like read and try to understand the Quran as much as I can. And we started from the first page and we worked through it and she would help me kind of understand the meaning and everything. And we would, uh, you know, when I went to finish, I was the first one that of my family of like, and I have hundreds of cousins, literally like my mom had 13 brothers and sisters and my dad had nine brothers and sisters. Um, so I have hundreds of cousins and I was the first one that I know of that finished the Quran front to back. And I remember when I was finishing it, we call it a khatam in, uh, in Islam and Arabic. And it's like, it's like an event where you pray. I mean, anytime you finish the Quran, you make a prayer and people will come. If you tell people, like, I'm about to finish the Quran, I was reading from the back, I'm going to have a khatam. People will come because it's a good thing. You, there's a lot of blessings in that prayer. And uh, people came. My cousins came. My aunts came and stuff like that. And I was finishing it. And I, and I, at this point, the end of the Quran has a lot of short surahs. And I believe these are the Meccan era surahs. And they're shorter. And a lot of Muslims know these by heart. Like I know most of them by heart. And... Uh, I didn't even need to read them anymore at this point because I knew them by heart. But of course, I'm still reading it because this is what I'm doing. I'm reading it. And I literally was getting choked up trying to read it. Like I, I couldn't read almost because like I was like tears coming out of my eyes. And I had just graduated high school and uh, I had no emotion during my graduation. I was like, whatever, this is dumb. But like for this, that felt like my real graduation. And Do you so, think that's just because like from a memorization standpoint, you're sort of like, you're not internalizing any of the words the way that you are when you're like sitting down, reading them deeply. Like, what do you think? Accounted I think for it's, I think it's for like, it's a really, you're talking about the reason I was like getting choked up or. Yeah. Because if you're saying you already knew them, but you just knew them by heart, like you could recite them, mm -hmm. um, but maybe you were reciting them like from a more sort of just like, yeah, you're just pulling it out of your brain. It's not like connected to your, to your. <clears throat> maybe heart in any maybe. way and then reading it as a different experience. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Maybe. I mean, to be honest, the Quran regularly causes me to cry to this day and my whole life. It has just listening to it. And that's very common amongst many Muslims. Like for, uh, for Muslims, the Quran is the miracle of the prophet. Like Jesus walked on water. Moses split the sea. Um, and the big miracle of the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, Islam is the Quran. And, uh, we believe it to be like the literal word of God, like delivered from Gabriel to, uh, to the prophet Muhammad. And, um, it's a very beautiful, even if you don't look at it from the religious perspective, it's a extremely, and to me, maybe the most beautiful piece of writing. It's incredibly, it's incredibly like, um, what's the word, uh, not just elegant, but like, 
impressive in its literary blend, its prose. You know what I mean? Like it's doing a lot of really, really, really advanced uh, rhyming structure, internal rhyme, yeah. symmetry. It's there, you can study your yeah. You can study your whole life about the different like styles of you know some 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 verses are structured in such a way that's like crazy advanced like structure of rhyme structure and and meaning you know like you don't see this except for in like shakespeare in english literature and like stuff like this and right even christian arabs study the quran in school because it's such a foundational text for the arabic language yeah i was gonna say i think something that's really interesting is that like i i imagine you study the Quran and have studied the Quran in Arabic, not English, right? Both. Both. Okay. Always both. Always both. So, but what's interesting is like, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Like for me, I've only ever read the Bible in English. The Bible was not written in English and to Mm. translate the Bible from Hebrew or from Greek into English, Aramaic, all of those things. Like in some cases, like you have to take a couple steps sort of to get there. So by the time mm. it makes it to English, like you're sort of, you're losing not just the cultural context, but like the linguistic context of what things actually mean. Like you have to, you have to go into the roots of like, well, what did, what does that originally say in Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic? Like what, and did, what that, did that what, mean back then? Exactly. Whereas like, if you're studying it, if then? you're studying it, at least in like the language that it was originally written in in terms of religious texts like you are removing a lot of those initial barriers that i think like so much of like modern christianity has been really like subverted and like sort of twisted and contorted by the fact that like all of these spiritual christian teachers in america like they only know the bible in english they only know it from the american cultural perspective and that's not true across the board but like culturally speaking for like the average cultural American Christian, that is sort of true. Like they don't necessarily fully understand the language that it was definitely don't understand the language language it was written in. And then also largely don't understand the historical context that it was coming out of. Absolutely. Uh, the historical context and linguistic aspect of it are incredibly important. And that's one of the main reasons that from the beginning days of the revelation of the Quran, people were memorizing it. And one thing about the Quran is that it's incredibly, uh, it's an oral tradition. It's meant to be read from start to finish. You know, you had some, let's talk about from a musical perspective. You can talk about, I don't know, you guys are Kendrick Lamar fans maybe? Absolutely. Okay, so you can take um, a random Kendrick Lamar song from Good Kid Mad City or um, To Pimp a Butterfly or Damn. And you can take that song and you can like that song. Or you can not like that song. But those three albums are very much albums that are meant to be listened to front to back. Or like song oh, about Dark man. Side of the Moon or I mean, something like that. You yeah, know? Dude, you're, you're nailing it. Like I've, I've talked so much, especially recently, just like I think Good Kid, Mad City is like one of the best records like front to back. The way it's like tells stories and the skits mm-hmm. that ex- exist. Like there's mm-hmm. such a like look into the day in the life of someone like, mm, you know, like it's, su- it's such a look into an experience that a lot of people are never going to have, you know, mm-hmm. like, especially from like a white person that like grew up in the suburbs, pretty wealthy suburbs, like most of my life and stuff, you know, like 
I don't know. I knew people, a lot of people that that lived in in Compton and stuff, and you know, taking them through, maybe dropping them at, off at their house at some point, you know, and mm-hmm. just like, yeah, just like seeing seeing that it was like a completely different world than I grew up in, and yeah, you know, a, a Kendrick record like gives you like a look a look into that, especially like Good sure. Kid, you know, and, and gives you the opportunity to to experience something if you're willing to like oh, listen to it like that. Definitely. I mean, he was a, he's a master storyteller in that regard, but, uh, and definitely what you're saying is absolutely true. It really lets you kind of experience that experience firsthand, you know, he brings you into his sphere. But the, the, the point I was trying to bring up about that is that each of those, any of those songs you can listen to and you can enjoy it. You could dislike it, but it's not a, it's not an isolated thing that was designed to be a record that you listen to altogether. And obviously you can also listen to it separately. It's also designed for that, but the overall purpose of that concept of that album was to be listened to through. That's how you get the whole story. For sure. And you you don't really understand the full or appreciate that you can't understand and appreciate the full importance of any individual song without listening to it as a whole structure. And especially with the Quran, this is the case. Uh, it is very much so a contextual oral tradition meant to be continuously read from start to finish. And, um, that's a lot of things about the Quran that's taken out of context, uh, taken out of context of its linear p- progression or taken out of context of its historical point in time of its revelation, because they could be talking about, for instance, you might see someone quote a line in the Quran that talks about, um, a war against the non-believers or something. And they're like, yeah, you see Muslims want to kill non-believers, but that actual, verse and that actual chapter was revealed to the prophet during a very major battle. And it's specifically referring when they're referring to those non-believers, it's specifically referring to the Arab tribes that were trying to destroy the Muslims in this current battle they were in. It's not referring to the world of non-believers. Right. Fuck man. It's not a vague reference. It's a very, very historically specific. specific. Yeah, exactly. And, um, that's fucking cool. That's consistently happening, you know, and the amount of times the Quran is out of context quoted or blatantly misquoted, blatantly misquoted is tremendous. So I've been, a lot of people learned about fake news after Donald Trump, but I mean, as a Muslim, you, you knew about it your whole life because the news was pretty much about you since, right. since 9-11. And you're just like, yo, it's not true. You're seeing the stuff on the news. It's not true. You know how many times I've heard the 72 virgins line from people? Right. That's not real. Right. That's a fucking, yeah, it's a, it's a shitty rumor. It's a shitty rumor the same way that like a lot of (laughs) shit about Mormonism is like a shitty rumor and yeah, Yeah. it's baseless. And also like, I mean, and people do this definitely like, if you look at like a Richard Dawkins or someone, they will do this with the Bible, but like Mm. the Bible can absolutely be misquoted the exact same way that any other religious text can't i mean like mm-hmm. you can pull so much shit out of the old testament yeah. and be like look at this look at what they want to do like it's yeah it's all about context it's so important uh the bible is really interesting actually i need to like study it more for sure and i definitely need to study like i'm really interested in like uh all the abrahamic religions obviously but um i i definitely know more about i think the bible and i wouldn't say i know a lot than i do about the jewish texts but um, I believe that the old Bible, the Old Testament, is for Jewish people and Christians, 
right? Yeah. The Old yes, Testament Jews correct. believe in it, and yep. Christians believe in it. The Jews just don't fuck with the new part. Of the, the of, new part. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know, man. Yeah, definitely learning something new on my side like that. Well, Muslims but, believe in it as well. But that, like, uh, yeah, kind of blowing my mind telling me about the like how how the Quran like works as far as like it being like being like the record front to back you know it's meant to be well, dude you know you can look at the ayah i, I was telling and uh, harrison about an ayah that i really uh and a lot of muslims probably the most famous ayah in the quran it's called ayatul kursi it's in the second chapter of the quran and uh it's the longest chapter of the quran the chapter is called uh, uh, al-baqarah and um this Aya, like I literally have it hanging on my wall over but there. This is the Aya of the throne, right? Like, yeah, yeah. This is that one, and uh, it's an Aya that for me is really important because I was scared a lot as a kid, and this is an Aya that offers a lot of protection, physical and spiritual protection against you know evil beings, uh, people who want to do bad against you, physical harm. You know, I literally recite this this Aya like almost every day. And, um, anytime I'm traveling, I recite it. Anytime I'm flying, I recite it. Most of the times I'm driving, I recite it. Um, it brought me since I was young and to this day, a lot of peace. And then on top of that, the ayah is like structured symmetrically. It's like beautifully structured. Like the, 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 the structure of it in like a, not a rhyme, but like, it's like, it's structured like where it's symmetrical. So there's it's a literal middle. Yeah, there's a middle point in the ayah, and then it would be like four segments, and you can call them like one, two, three, and four, and then there's a middle point, and then there's four, three, two, and one, and four and four are literally talking about the same thing. Three and three are the same. Two and two connected, and one and one are connected. And I forgot what the literary term for that is, but it's like a dope literary tool in in prose, you know, and. Um, on top of that, like, you know, it just, it brought me a lot of peace. And like, that's why, like one thing about the Quran is like, it's been studied by a lot of non-religious people, like literary people because of its prose. Uh, it's very poetic and it has a lot of rhyming. And I think that probably affected me for like how I'm rhyming because the whole Quran is like full of rhymes, very advanced rhymes. You know, like mm. I studied rhymes a lot <laughs> and I'm sure you guys have too, you know, like early Eminem stuff and middle career Eminem stuff. And even today he's a really good rhymer. Obviously he just doesn't sound that good anymore. The guy's doing really unbelievable things with rhyming. His, his ability to internally rhyme and externally rhyme is, is just outstanding. And the Quran is full of that kind of stuff. And I think that kind of stuck with me and gave me like, there's all kinds of pantameter in it and everything. There's just every kind of literary tool and prose you can think of is in there. And, um, I think that affected me a lot, uh, growing up without me even realizing it and kind of got me to like rhyme all the time. Cause like, I, I don't really like to rap anymore, like publicly. And, um, I think it's almost kind of embarrassing. I, I don't know why I'm like 30 years old and I don't want to tell people I'm a rapper, you know? <laughs> but, uh, I'm not a rapper, so I don't rap anymore, but I still rap. I still like rap for fun. Like I'll just walk around the house and if I hear, I can't study or I can't work to like lo-fi hip hop radio on your, you know, that lo-fi radio. Oh, yeah, I, radio love that shit. I, I literally can't listen to it because I won't get any work done. You'll just, I'll just be, be you'll just be rapping. I'll just be flowing. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just, maybe 10 minutes I'll work. And then before I know it, I'm flowing. You, I'm just rapping yeah. in my head. 
Will you ever, will you ever just like do that for like some sort of release then? Like, do you use it as a, as a tool for that at all? Like at this point, if in your the life? homies are kicking it and like someone like hits a beat, you know, I got the young cousins now, like 23 and stuff and they're cooking beats all the time. You know what I mean? They're producing music a lot. And oh, like yeah. for fun, when I'm back home with them, like I'll, I'll just spit whatever on the mic with them, but nothing that I ever intend to be released. Yeah, dude, or don't anything you, like that. don't you remember Wally and I used to, I used to like lay down shit on my acoustic guitar and yeah. Wally would freestyle over it. And he was like, I'd never heard anybody freestyle like this before in my life. It blew my fucking mind. So that kind of breaks my heart. That yeah. you, uh, you should do it. You should do it as much as you want to. But I would encourage I you mean, to I do still, it a lot. I still flow, but like, yeah, I'm passionate. But like, so basically, dude, I was fucked up for a while. I mean, I don't want to get super into it, but I was putting a lot of bad things into my body and, you know, I think way too much alcohol. Like I haven't drank any a sip of alcohol in over four years now. Um, I don't really do any like, pretty clean body. You know, I, 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 maybe I drink a little too much sugar, but, uh, other than that, like I'm really about my health and not just my physical health, but like my mental and spiritual health. And around 2015, I really saw that I was not being, I was on a good place. And, um, and this goes back to where my spirituality is like a roller coaster. It ebbs and flows. So actually, <laughs> it started like I was really I was really back on a religious tip at the end of high school, going to the first two years of university. And I was in excellent physical shape. I was having a lot of success, great grades, great relationships with my family and friends, uh, spiritual, religious, and um, you know somehow I fit, I flopped off of it and I got accepted into USC. I went to USC and I got into a period of not praying and just kind of like not knowing what I'm going to do. Probably and when I you got met to, you, Andrew, it was probably you fault, that bro. derailed. You met, yeah. You met me and this fucking gang of knuckleheads. We, when we fucked Dude, it up, it was the worst thing actually. Like I felt like it was a literal test from God that I failed because I got to USC like four days earlier than I should have. And there's no one there before school started. It's dead. There's literally no one there. I don't know anyone. And I'm at the dorms and there's, there's, it's empty. The school's empty. I was like, yeah, I'm going to school. And then I was like quiet. I was like, what the fuck? So I was in LA by myself for like almost a week and I didn't know what to do. And I was never lived alone. I never moved out of the parents. I was my first time living away from my folks house. And I was like getting homesick and I was getting lonely and I didn't know what to do. And I hadn't been praying and I was just kind of smoking weed and just chilling. And then I was like, man, I, I got away from God. I need, I need to pray, man. You know? And I hadn't even communicated with a human being in days. So I got out my prayer mat and I started praying. And it was the night prayer. It was the end of the day. And literally in the middle of my prayer, I hear, bum, 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 on the door. And I'm like trying to ignore it. I'm like, whatever, I'm just going to keep praying. And it kept on going. I was like, oh my God, like I got to, maybe it's an emergency. I was like, all right, so I'm like, well, so my prayer's over. Let me just run and get the door. I opened the door and he's like, yo, you must be Wally. We're roommates. And it's like some dude from like a frat, the famous frat. I don't even remember his, I think his name was John. It was John. It was Johnny. And this guy had like two 30 racks on each shoulder <laughs> and like and like three smoking hot blonde girls. And he's from one of these surfer frats. I don't remember the names of the frats because I wasn't like in Sigma one. Kai, probably. One of these shits, like really Ready to like fucking dope, party. Like all blo all blondes and surfers. Every one of them was blonde and a surfer in this frat. I remember. And uh, he had like three hot blondes with them and a bunch of beer. And he was like, "Let's get fucked up." And I was like, 
dude, I was just praying to God to like give me peace a second ago. And I was like, uh, okay, let's do it. And then I didn't literally pray again for years, pretty much like not really. And it was like, I kept getting fatter and I was like in jujitsu. I'm a jujitsu fighter and I was in Muay Thai uh, fighting for like a couple of years. So I was in like pretty good shape. And that moment literally started for like five years. I didn't exercise almost. I just barely prayed almost never. And I was just drinking a lot and doing a lot, progressively getting worse and doing things. And, you know, I, I started getting depressed and then a lot of other stuff happened and I started having a lot of anxiety I started feeling like I didn't want to wake up in the morning and then I would have so much anxiety that I couldn't go to sleep at night. And all day I would just feel like I'm drowning. That was every day for years I was drowning. I couldn't breathe. Like, you know. And I was like, this is not a way to live a life. And I'm not doing any of the things I know I need to be doing. And Prague is a very easy place to get lost because there's a very big drinking culture here. Everyone's alcoholic and the parties never stop. It's like a little mini Las Vegas. And... Um, I really had a toxic life here and I was around 2015 and I was looking at myself in the mirror and I was like, I was disgusted at myself and I couldn't bear to be who I was anymore. I was like, dude, I not, this is not where I'm supposed to be at. So I was like, I need to move back to San Diego and like start from square one. And I was like reevaluating everything. I was like, maybe I should be a lawyer. I was like, maybe like, I, I know I would be a good lawyer. Like maybe that's what I'm, maybe I'm just supposed to be a lawyer. Like, I don't know. And I was like, I don't want to do business in this country my whole life. Cause I don't even like it as much as I like San Diego and California. And then like, they can kick me out at any time. Like it's not my country. I'm not even a citizen here. Like what happens if I build this life and then someone fucks me over and I have to leave, I can't even fight them, you know? And it seems like I'm putting all my eggs in a basket. That's very fragile. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do? So I moved back home and I was there for like two years and I didn't barely talk to anyone for two years. I didn't hang out with anyone. I didn't talk to any women. All I did for two years was study, work, work out, and meditate and prayer, pray. And I, I felt like I needed to clean myself and, and heal myself and purify myself. And, um, I decided to try law out. I started studying for the LSATs. I got a job in a law firm and I was working in a law firm for a while. And, you know, it was taking a while. I was getting better. I was getting better. I was getting, uh, after six or seven months of this, I was like starting to feel a little bit better. And, it was my mom, man. Like she, she came up to me one day and she was like, Hey, um, I see that you're really, you know, working hard, you know, and trying to be better. And I, and I respect that, you know, every day I see you out there working every day, working hard, helping people. And I don't know, your birthday's coming up and I thought it might be a good present. You know, if you want, it's completely up to you. Like there's a group going to Mecca and Medina and, um, it's not for the Hajj pilgrimage, but a lesser pilgrimage It's called Umrah. And it's going to be like a 10 day thing. And, you know, it's a little expensive. It's like five grand, but you know, the group is really cool. It's with the Sheikh, the local mosque, you know him. And I was like, yeah, I know him. And he's like, there's all young guys. And like, and, and there's a bunch of young, older women and everything. They're like, there's a good group of young guys going. And if you want, I know you don't know any of these people really, but I'd be willing to give it to you like a birthday gift to go. And I, and I was really worried. And I was like, I was like, I have to think about it. Cause I was like, am I even deserving for this to go to the holiest place in my faith on a pilgrimage? Like, am I ready for this? Like, what if I want to start drinking again and partying again and doing all this stuff again? Like I'm dirty and it's like, do I deserve to go into the house of God? Like, 
it's so much pressure. Like once I go there, I can't live a bad life again. Then uh, maybe I want to, I don't know. And I was like super scared and I didn't know what to do. And I just thought about it long and hard and prayed on it long and hard. And I just thought, you know, let's do it. Uh, and the, they left on the day of my birthday. They left on March 26. So it's like basically literally I'll be leaving on my birthday to go. And I really didn't know what to expect because I felt like I had a lot of work to do still to deserve to go there. And I, it was the best gift I could have ever possibly given. I've received in my entire life. Um, it really, it was a very transformative place for me. Like it really cemented a foundation for me and, and healing because I went to like where it all started. And, um, it's a really, really amazing place, both of those places. And, um, it caused me to have so much healing and, 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 and so much like new positivity and new outlook on life. And I came back and I continued to go on this path and I'm still on this path today. And, um, I went back to work at the law firm and I was good. My, my bosses loved me. I was basically like, um, paralegal for them, you know? And they loved me. They're like, yo, yeah, you know, we're going to take you to Ibiza when we finish this case, man, you're doing great. This case is going to be a big one for us. We all go to Ibiza, you know, they loved me, you know? And I was like, this work is easy as shit. I was like, man, this is not challenging for me at all. And I'm, I'm not a dumb guy. So I started crunching the numbers. I started crunching the numbers with regards to time, like literal time, because that's the real currency of this whole world is time. You know, that's why you pay attention, you know, because you're, that's literally what you're paying within everything. It's your time. And I was like the raw numbers of time, the raw numbers of money and the, sorry, there's a fly in here. And, the, and like, um, and like the amount of people who work after law school, I was like, man, law school is hard as fuck. I think being a lawyer isn't necessarily, could be obviously depending on your grind. For me, I felt like I had it in me to be a great lawyer. Just like after almost a year of working in that law firm, I was like, man, I could do this. Definitely. I was handling the whole caseload by myself already. I was doing, you know, pretty much except for having the stamp on it or going to court when you needed to, I was doing the whole fucking hundred pages of the fucking right. All the you know, findings myself. Yeah. And I was good at it. I could read and write very well and I can communicate and talk with people. And so, but I noticed that everyone I worked with was miserable. All the lawyers were fucking yelling at their wives. They had a real big temper. They were all just waiting to go drink at the end of work and, you know, wash away their misery. And, um, I was like, man, I'm about to spend $200,000, three, three and a half to four years of work and then compete with millions of other lawyers for a job where I'm only going to be a lawyer in California and then actually only able to practice in the city that I'm registered in. So if I want to go live somewhere else, I'm not even a lawyer there anymore. Like that seems like a really bad investment. And I was starting to think like that. And I don't know if you remember Keith, he was one of our roommates yeah, of course. in Menlo. Keith is my guy, man. So Keith is the homie. He's one of the most brilliant individuals I've ever met in my entire life. And I highly recommend that you get him on the show. Uh, because he's someone who wasn't super atheist almost back in the day, like super technical guy. He's like, yeah, I can't wait to like, right. he's a like genius, robot. like engineer, engineer, robotics engineer. Yeah. Yeah. And he had a shift and now he's a very spiritual person, but he's still a genius engineer and working in robotics and automation and stuff like this. And, um, I had a, a long walk. Maybe we walked for like five kilometers on the beach in San Diego with him. And we're just, I was just talking about my life and he was like, Wally, you're, 
you're young, man. He's like, what do you see? Like, I was like, well, by the time I'm 30, 31, I'll be a lawyer. And then I don't think I'm going to enjoy it that much, but I'm, I think I can make a lot of money and I can spend like 10, 15 years grinding, making a lot of money Then I can transition into like business and investments and real estate and, uh, then live cushy life from there on. He's like, but dude, you're talking about being in a field that you don't like for like 15 to 20 years. Those are your like best years. You're going to be miserable. And I was like, yeah, I guess. And he's like, is that really what you want to do? And I was like, thinking about it. And I was like, you know what, man, like always I've been curious scientifically and especially after my pilgrimage to Mecca and Medina, I got, man, I had a really crazy time there. I got so unbelievably obsessively curious about the universe and the meaning of all of this, that it was like taking a lot of my free time to research and read and stuff like this about this, like stuff, all kinds of physics stuff, science stuff. And uh, I decided like, yo, I know that I have to, I don't want to just be a businessman and I, and I want to, you know, a salesman basically. And I want, I want to have some actual marketable skill. And, uh, I was thinking about it and after talking with him, I was like, man, like the amount of effort law school is really hard. Like anyone who's in law school will tell you it's a lot of fucking work. And I was like, man, like if I'm going to put in that much work, I bet you an engineering degree is, is comparable level work. Like I haven't studied math in like 10 years, but I think it's, probably like comparable. And I was like, you know what? I, I think I can do it. And I was like, I think that it's better for me to become an engineer. And I know it's later in life, but I'm still in my twenties. And I was like, if I'm not going to do it now, then when I'm like 37, 38, I'll be regretting it and I'll just be hating my life. So I might as well just do it now and get it over with, you know? And it'll give me the tools I need to obviously make money and as well as give me the tools, the scientific sophistication to be able to further pursue the answers to these questions I have from a scientific standpoint. And, um, so like three years ago I started an engineering degree. I'm almost done now. And, um, I'm in software engineering actually. I know it's not like the most like physics engineering too, but I study physics as well. And, um, I'll tell you what, man, Eastern European computer science is very rigid. It's pretty fucking hard. These Russian style, Soviet style engineering programs are very cutthroat and they're very difficult. And, um, I had to learn fucking all kinds of advanced maths, programming languages, physics, electrical engineering, and all kinds of stuff after not having studied any math since junior year in high school. And I love it. And, um, I don't think I would be able to do all this if it wasn't for this strong physical and spiritual base. Cause I, I'm, you can tell I've lost a little bit of weight maybe. Oh yeah. Like for sure. I was, I was a big chunky boy back in USC, man. Yeah, I was like end, 230 there, pounds at the end there. Yeah. You were definitely, when I first met you, not as much. I was high. Yeah. I was towards high. the I end. Bad. Yeah. Towards the end, you were big chilling on the couch for sure. Yeah. Oof, big boy, man. Like 230 pounds, you know, like, you know, not looking healthy. And it got even worse than that. And so when I first started this engineering program, it was in 2017 in fall, that month was the worst month of my life to date because in that month I developed an eye disease that causes me debilitating, crippling pain uh, and blindness when it happens. And until I get to the hospital and get treatment, like I'm not able to see or function pretty much. Uh, I also developed like a weird stomach issue that I still struggle with that that month of October, I wasn't able to eat food for almost two weeks. I lost like you know, 10 pounds in like two weeks. 
And my visa after five years got canceled randomly, basically based off racism. And then my uncle, who was a very big part of our lives, got, who lived here in Prague with me, got sick and died really quickly, all in a month. And I started an engineering program that I was very nervous about. And um, I don't think I would have been able to make it through all that uh, and get to where I am right now had it not been for all the hard work that I'd put in in the past several years on my mind, body, and spirit. And, you know, like, it, it, it's weird because they're all very important and they all connect with each other. You know what I mean? Like, always my dad told me from a young age, you know, a healthy body gives a healthy mind, you know? And so I worked first on my body. I started going back to jiu-jitsu because that's what I knew. And I was getting my ass kicked a lot. And I used to be really good at jujitsu, and I just had been like six years since I practiced, since I trained. So I started getting my ass kicked a lot, and you know, you have to take a beating, you have to take a beating, and you're getting beat the fuck up by people and choked out and abused and humiliated nonstop. And then I started getting better, and then I started kicking people's asses. And then as I started getting my body clean from all these substances that I've been using for years, I started realizing my mind was actually sharper. You know, I don't remember a lot of stuff from USC, man. Like from LA, from the age of 21 to like 25, like I have a hard time remembering things from that period, to be honest. I don't know, it's kind of weird, but I, I was drinking so much and doing so many other things that it's, things are fuzzy for me. Yeah, like I have big, big memories, but ever now I haven't drank in like, it's getting close to five years, it's like four and a half years. And I haven't done anything like that's negative for my body for the most part. And I'm like, I feel younger. I feel like I'm 17 health wise. I'm flexible. I'm strong. I'm okay. Now I'm a little bit overweight than I should be, but I'm still much better shape than I was back yeah, then. And, um, basically like, uh, if it wasn't for the spirit that I built from these, that I built from these repetitions of, all the things that we talked about, then I don't think I would have been able to continue on this path. I don't think I would have made it. I don't think I would have almost been graduated from school with an engineering degree. Um, I mean, and that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, like right now, like I'm in my final year, um, quarantine in the Czech Republic on coronavirus times and I'm more sure now after all these years that I'm on the right path than I've ever been in my life. And I think it's, you know, all from the things that I've done in the last five years. For sure. I don't know, man. Like, yeah, it seems like you obviously like benefit from the structure and the discipline. And I mm -hmm. think that it would be hard to argue against like there being some sort of like correlation between people who are like super disciplined in their faith and in their religion and like how successful they are, like what positions they hold within organizations and stuff. Like mm -hmm. I think that stuff there's, there's clear connections there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what about you guys? Like, so I know, I remember Andrew, you were telling me you were from like an evangelical background or something like that. Right. Yeah. In Colorado. Yeah. And like, so you're, you're not really with that anymore. Like where's your spiritual, like what's your, what's your reality now spiritually? Like where yeah. you at? Yeah. Well, so 
uh, when I definitely when I like entered at USC when we met, I was yeah. definitely still like a, a part of the Christian world for sure, and would have considered myself a Christian. And then I would say it's maybe about halfway, three quarters of the way through USC. Um, yeah, it's had a lot of shit happen all at once. Um, and I was experimenting with like mushrooms and shit like that. And yeah, I had like a huge spiritual awakening in terms of just feeling like, uh, yeah, like that, this like sort of rigid world that I had grown up in, in terms of like beliefs and faith and things like was no longer serving me. And so then I sort of went out into like the unknown and the mystery or whatever you want to call it for a while. And then maybe a couple years ago, sort of circled back to like Christianity and like Jesus's teachings, not necessarily from like a religious perspective. Like I still wouldn't really call myself like a Christian, but I started realizing like, oh, there's like a lot of stuff in here that's, that does help me spiritually. And I can see it from like a different perspective now. Um, and it's the language that I was brought up with, you know, Jesus's teachings are like my spiritual lens. That's what formed my spiritual understanding of the world. And so I was like trying to understand spirituality through the lens of the Buddha, trying to understand spirituality through, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, trying to understand spirituality through all of these different lenses that like weren't my own. And I, I definitely learned a lot from them and I continue to do so, but I sort of realized like, I do have a home base and for me, like the home base is, <coughs> excuse me, the, the home base isn't even necessarily like the Bible as a whole, but specifically like the things that Jesus taught is probably like my closest home base spiritually. Um, but I definitely approach it from a more, I guess, like mystical sense. Like I don't think of Jesus as like, uh, like the son of God. I just think of him as someone who like tapped into tapped into like the connectedness of all things, which is what I think God is. So I think he just like, he saw it and he knew it and he tried to like uh, create a map for people to attain that on their own, the same way that like the Buddha did or the same way that Muhammad did. But he wasn't necessarily saying like, yeah, like I am like, you have to like, follow what I say to a T. Um, like I personally think if Jesus were to come back today, he would be like, why is there a religion about me? This makes no sense. There shouldn't, there shouldn't be a religion about, I wasn't telling you to worship me. I was telling you to go have your own journey and encounter God on your own. I was trying to tell you how you can do it. Um, Interesting. so that's sort of where I'm at now. I'm sort of still just like, you know, I think life is full of a lot of mystery and a lot of unknowns. And I think that's sort of what makes it beautiful is coming to terms with the fact that like, uh, God being a mystery, it doesn't necessarily mean that God is this ever unknowable thing. It's that God is something that you can continue to like learn about throughout your life. So it's ever unfolding. It's always like, you're constantly discovering things. So in that way, it's unknowable because you'll never reach the end. Um, mm -hmm. But it's that mystery that makes it so beautiful and grand and sort of what makes, yeah, life worth living is sort of the, the, the mysteries of life and getting to like, the more you understand, the more you realize that you actually don't know. 
um, mm. which is sort of a trip. But I think that that, yeah, like God is uh, an amazing just thing in that way. Um, and to me, like God, from my own personal experiences and divine encounters or whatever you want to call them, like God is something that is just like completely outside of language. So to sit and even try to describe it and to read all these religious texts that did, you know, so boldly attempted to describe it, um, Mm. is fascinating. But when you have your own experiences, you realize that like, at least for myself, like how futile it is to try to put it into language because it's so far beyond that. Um, my deepest spiritual moments are so far beyond being able to explain with the English language. So Mm. anyways, that's my, that's my super long way of saying, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, that's dope though, because basically if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but you were basically saying, uh, that, and definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but I think maybe you're taking like a step back from organized religion and taking a step towards your own relationship with God. No, that's exactly it. And I think it's, it's been really hard for like my, my family to, who are still Christians to understand that and what that Mm -hmm. means. But that is exactly it of like, it wasn't until I stepped away from organized religion that I really feel like I truly discovered God. And then once I did that, I was like, well, fuck, I don't know what to do with this. There is no org- There is no community centered around this. But I also feel like I, now I can't go back to that community, oh, even though, yeah, even though part of me sort of wants to just for the community aspect and for like, you know, these like solid rituals so that I can just follow and like the structure of it so that I'm not just out here shooting in the dark. But at this point, it sort of feels like that is my that is my path that I'm meant to be on. It feels right to me to be on the Mm. path of like mystery and sort of just like trying to figure it out for myself. And I do feel like, I don't think I'm ever going to reach an answer. I don't think that, I don't think that there's an answer to be reached, but I do think Mm -hmm. that like for me personally, you know, there's lots of different paths to the top of the mountain. And my path is sort of this like more mystic path, um, Mm -hmm. which is going to be outside of like, yeah sort of yeah deeply spiritual and and outside of like any organized religion or any like structured belief system Mm. so you mentioned that like you don't necessarily think about jesus as the son of god but you think about him as a man with a message that was about connecting with god and doing good and stuff like this sure what do you think about like the whole the idea of the Holy Trinity and stuff like that then? So do you still think, do you still believe it? Cause like that's part of it, right? The son of yeah, God. Yeah. Spirit. I just think that that, I think that ultimately, I mean, I view almost everything from the Bible through a very like mystical Gnostic lens. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. like, for example, when it comes to Jesus saying something like, um, you know, I am the Christ, the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Like, he's not talking about, like, me, Jesus, as a person. He's talking about the idea of, like, Christ consciousness. Like, an exp- like you don't get to experience the divine until you, like, expand your consciousness and awareness to a point where, like, you can tap into that. I think he's sort of pointing to things that have been misinterpreted over time in the Christian faith. And I think that there's a lot of, like—I know that I'm not alone in that. I know that there's a lot of, like— 
uh, different sects of Christianity that have been sort of buried that sort of point to this sort of more like mystical understanding of spirituality. Um, and when I think of the Trinity, like, I just think that it's like a, a wild metaphor for like mind, body and spirit essentially would be Ooh, the best way, about it that way, the best way that I would put it or something yeah, along those lines, trinity. you know, it's just like, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of interesting trinities in life. And I think it's just sort of like trying to point to, um, as soon as you put, if you put two things together in the way that they interact with each other, there's only like, you know, you only have a B and B a, as soon as you add a third, you start to create like all kinds of in, like interesting, intricate little spirals and fractals mm -hmm. within that. And now it becomes mm -hmm. like almost infinitely complex to view things like through the lens of a Trinity. And I think it's oh, yeah, sort of definitely. just like, yeah, well, I think that concept is very much pointing to the vast mystery of, of all of it because it's just well, speaking about what you just said. It's like, yeah, I mean like growing up in, in, in seventh grade, you learn a lot about religions. I mentioned that the teacher had me teach about Islam, but you know, you also learn about Christianity and at least in power unified school district. And they taught us things all wrong. Like they taught us in seventh grade that the first church ever was the Catholic church. And I didn't know any Orthodox Christians back then. Or if I did, I didn't realize they were. But when I speak to Orthodox Christians now, they're like, no, we, we were around maybe before them. Like even we we're at, definitely at the same time, you know? And, yeah, and before like, that, oh. there was all kinds of like Christian movements that predated yeah, the right? church. Like, yeah. And so that got me going into a Wikipedia hole like a year or two ago. And, you know, you get into that Wikipedia hole where, like, you're just, like, clicking, clicking, and you're, like, oh, reading. It's never ending. You know, you're hours spending, right? And I, at some point, I don't know how I got there. I think it was because of, like, some – it was, like, because of some topic I think I was having with friends about, like, the idea of a white Jesus. <laughs> and um, – and I was just like, well, it's possible for sure, but I think it's a little bit unlikely because there was white people, there was Romans there, and definitely there was intermixing. And right, definitely, but I that wasn't Jesus, though. Yeah, but like, and I was like, well, let's look at a typical picture of someone from that region from that time, and there is portraits of people from that time uh, in those regions. Yeah. And so, like, and I like, and I like, and I pulled some up, and we we're talking about it. And there's famous ones. And, like, they look like modern-day, like, kind of Mediterranean Arabs and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, they're not Brown, white for people. Sure. <laughs> Cur Curly-haired and stuff like that with the long nose, you know. Like, Jesus was a Jew, yeah, you know. absolutely. And I think the Jews of those Jesus times was were very, very dark. He was a very brown Jew. Yeah. yeah. Full and stop. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. And, um, you know, most likely had some curly hair, you know, like all this stuff, you know. And. And they got me clicking on other links and stuff like that. And like, I started learning about, I mean, it's not like, I wouldn't say like learning deeply because like you can't learn anything well in a couple hours. You know what I mean? You can't learn anything well in a year. You not can, on you Wikipedia. Years, right now. Yeah. Right. You have to spend years to learn something, but it gave me my first kind of exposure to different concepts of like the formation of Christianity. And like, I never got super deep into it, but it was really interesting for me to read about it. And I started reading about, um, uh, St. Athanasius and, uh, his battle with the Arians. So there was, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy at all. Are you familiar with St. Athanasius? Okay. So basically no, no. St. Athanasius was, and at this time he, Alexandria in Egypt was the seat of the Roman empire. 
and it was a really important place. Like there was three major cities in the world that controlled the world, and it was Alexandria, it was it's Constantinople, and it was Rome, the Vatican. And um, Athanasius was leading uh, a movement which was basically the Trinitarian movement, and he was he was saying that there's the Holy Trinity. And he was the father of the Holy Trinity, basically, of that concept. And he's the first, he was the bishop or archbishop, I forget which one's higher, of Alexandria, of, of Egypt. And he was always a very important position in the, in the church at that time. And um, he was the first, I believe, ancient Christian like saint who correctly identified all of the books who would eventually be in the Bible, that included in the Bible. And, um, and he's a very important person, I think, as far as like Bible and Trinitarianism goes. But there's like a really interesting battle that was going on at those times between him and a guy named uh, Arius, I believe. And they call his followers Arians, Arianism. And the argument between them was that Arianisms believe that logically following, if from the Bible they said, God hath begotten a son then that means that there was a point in time, there was a time where Jesus didn't exist, which means that the idea of a Trinity didn't work for them. And they still believed that Jesus was the son of God, but they didn't believe that he was divine in the same sense as God himself, that he came after Because he had a start. He had a starting point. Yeah, he had a starting point. That's exactly what they're arguing. And, um... It was a big battle, and at, at, at a time, there was a time where Trinitarianism lost out, and he was exiled. He was kicked out, St. Athanasius, and he was sent to Germany or something. And Arianism became the popular thing. The Pope was Arian. Now, he believed in this form of, uh, this form of Christianity. Yeah, this theological underpinning this of theological like, the idea, Trinity. Yeah. Yeah. The Pope literally became, like, that was like the most popular form of Christianity. And this Arius guy died and Athanasius came back to Egypt and regained like a popular following. And the next Pope became a Trinitarian. And I think I read on online that they, most of the Arian books had been burned. And I think at some point after that, the council of Nicaea and all that stuff happened and they decided upon the Bible. And so all of the surviving Arian texts there, there is none actually. So everything that they know about the Arians were written by people afterwards. And so they don't know, people, scholars don't know exactly how much of it is accurate, but what they do know was that it was a very popular movement that was the status quo for a time. And so it's really, for me, was fascinating because also there was so many weird characters like this Arian guy, Arius guy, he like learned a lot from a hermit, like this guy who lived in the desert in a cave and he was like a monk, didn't talk to no one, didn't speak with no one, lived there alone, just reading the Bible and studying and studying the words of the Christ, right? And it's like these kind of people appear throughout like history and like religious texts and stuff like that. These like wise sages, you know, whether you're yeah, talking it's about a, Asia. It's a mythic figure. For sure. And like he's, and he's a, apparently a real person, like historically. He, he might have been a saint. I don't know. I don't want to speak out of turn. But it's like, I don't even, I, you know, like these, because for Islam, 
it's very documented. It's newer than Christianity. And right. if you study Islamic studies, they, they refer to this as the classical synthesis. So I don't know if you ever took the course at USC, but we were really blessed because USC had a lot of money. They were able to hire some of the best scholars. And they hired to head their uh, department on Islamic studies the year before I left, uh, Dr. Sherman Jackson, who was like maybe the foremost leading Muslim American scholar, you know? And he was like unbelievable to take his course, super knowledgeable. He's like a lawyer, a PhD in black studies like, and Islamic he's a, studies. He's a black Muslim? Yeah. Okay. Well, most Muslims in America are black. Right, right. Because, yeah, and, um, because of the whole movement in like the yeah. 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah. And that's the thing most people don't, a lot of people don't realize most Muslims in America are black. Right. And, um, yeah, he's a black Muslim. He's incredibly educated. I think he's an engineer as well. Like he has crazy degrees, super smart, always contributing to Huffington Post, writing books on religion, on black studies and stuff. You should definitely look into Sherman Jackson. And, um, he was teaching me about this idea of the classical synthesis and I always knew it to a certain degree. And the classical synthesis is like the understanding of the faith throughout the time and the context that we live in, you know, because the religion of Islam is constantly debated upon. The meaning of the words of the Quran and the Hadith are consistently and always debated upon by scholars about what they mean. And as the world evolves, they talk about what does this mean now? Right. You know what I mean? And the same thing has happened with Christianity where it just keeps getting more and more fractured because people are being like, okay, well, we believe this thing is slightly different. So we're just going to go start our own separate thing that's still under yeah. the umbrella of Christianity, but like is going to be a new sect of Christianity or a new, yeah, I mean, that's why you have like Catholicism versus Protestantism. And then under Pro like Protestantism, you have Episcopalians and you have, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah, the Congregationalists and like there's, there's all kinds of different shit underneath and it's they all like have slightly different understandings of, of the text essentially what you're talking about like they might just believe that like one chapter of the bible is talking about something a little bit differently than another sect of christianity i think culture ties a lot into those sects too at least it does for islam because you know when you're talking about a religion that's worldwide people's culture starts to affect For their sure. perception yeah, of it. Absolutely. America fucked up with Christianity. <laughs> yeah, we've talked we've talked about that a lot like real bad. Yeah, it's a fucking money game here. Like they tied it in to the fucking economy. Mm. And uh yeah, it's just I don't know, man. We've most never of it's, had most a of it's really gross. We've never had a president that claimed to be not Christian in the history we of this country. Had yeah, we Bernie, Bernie could have been the first, but every other president Man. has been like, at the very least, even if they don't say openly, like, I am like a intense Christian, like George W., like Obama's still going to read the Bible on camera mm. in a very serious way to a group of people in a way that pertains to like the way the nation should be run. Like mm -hmm. there's biblical authority that's run through the like underpinnings of American morality and it's a Christian fucking nation. Absolutely. Yeah. It's and not just like a normal Christians. The Puritans were like extremists. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah, that dude, is the roots. That is the roots of, of American Christianity is Christian extremism. And, but I mean like going back to the past, like back to the Athanasius and Arianism thing, if I could be wrong, man, like I'm not a scholar in religion. But I remember reading, and like this is all from Wiki, so who knows how legit it is. But I remember reading that um, the majority of the Christian world at that time 
was in the Middle East and North Africa, which is where it started. Right. You know what I mean? Palestine, Jesus was from Bethlehem, you know? And most of the people where Arianism, this idea that God, Jesus was after God, were in that region. And most of the Trinitarians were in Italy and Rome and the in European areas. And it, when I was reading it, I don't know if they specifically mentioned that it, there was a cultural racial thing involved in that. Or there couldn't I was not just, be. Yeah, there or if I was just my subtext kicking in. Dude, there couldn't fucking not be. I just I just was reading about like the loose history of Harlem uh, mm-hmm. earlier today. It was talking about how like Harlem originally was like um it was like German. And then the Dutch came in and the German fled. And then the Irish came into Harlem and then all the Dutch people were like, fuck this, like looking looking down their noses at the Irish. This is in like the fucking 18th century. And then, you know, like another European nation comes and like all of the Irish people are like, nope, we're out. And then like eventually like, you know, black people start ending up in Harlem in like the late 1800s or whatever, or the early 1900s. And... Yeah, whoever was left, the Irish or whatever, were just like did the or the, I think maybe at that point it was it was like a Jewish community, Ooh. and it's just sort of like that's so recent, but it just goes to show like our world used to be so fractured along racial lines. It was it was cut so deep. No matter what part of the world you were in, I mean, it's that's just sort of the world that used to exist before like this age of communication. Is that like anything that was other than you? Why would you trust that? They're, they're different. And so I'm not even saying that like, like, yeah, it's just, it's just how things were, especially if we're talking about like hundreds of years ago, but definitely like 1500 years. Ago. Yeah. That 2000 years ago, like things are super fractured wrong for sure. Just even within the same race, just different tribes. Like you would be, mm-hmm. if, if that same logic was applied to today, here in Portland, we would be like warring against the fucking suburbs because we would be like they're fu- they're different. Like they're from a mm. that's a different tribe, even though they're like geographically right next to us and like basically, you know, the same shit. Yeah, I, yeah. Wars within the tribe. People that fucking the Mormons that hate the polygamists. You know, For like sure. there's conflict mm-hmm. within all of it. But yeah, I think that's like also what makes it hard for someone that like. I was also raised with in more of a Catholic in the Catholic culture, nothing rigid, but you know, with the lens of Jesus. And I think that's like what makes it hard because it is so fractured. Like that makes me like, even though I align and fuck with the teachings and you know, some of the, the rituals, like I just don't like feel the need to align with one of these, uh, these parts of the organization like doesn't make sense to me right now like that part doesn't mm. speak to me at all like it just seems like there's a lot of bull like it's a lot of politics it seems like within groups that big i guess or with any mm. group of people like i, I mean know. catholicism is a it's a very interesting i mean it's the it's the biggest sect of christianity Right. And I actually went to the Vatican last summer. And so I got to see like St. Peter's Basilica and a lot of these things, you know, Sistine Chapel and all that. And it's a pretty wonderful place. It's very like, wow, you know, like people built this like so long ago. Yeah, man. And it's, 
You've been there? No, I haven't. I would I would really like to go, but um I don't know. I just like when I went to Spain last year, I went to the Sagrada Familia. Mm-hmm. And that was like the most that's like one of the most god like experiences like I've ever had. So it's like just powerful like how how buildings and structures like that can you know have that such a fun. trippy dude that one that one that changed my shit that one changed my shit like when we talk about having like experiences with the divine like i i don't know man like that place changed my shit did you go inside i did go inside and there, how was that it was unreal man like the inside like seeing the outside is is great and it was cool because i i had stayed in barcelona for like five days and we we stayed right next to it and we waited until like the fourth or fifth day so we we had like been around it so much and then we finally went inside and that place dude is just like it's so powerful the way that it's structured and just like his intention to make it an instrument of the city like it was meant Mm -hmm. for like everyone to hear the bells and there's a there's an area there um where you where you could pray and they only allow you in to that area if you have the intention of going in and i had no idea that that area was there i would not say that like that's my mo to do something like that to go into a church and pray i actually most of the time feel like pretty uncomfortable in churches a lot of the time i don't know some sort of fucking weird childhood stuff i don't know i don't know what's you happening. feel guilty or no i just don't like i i feel very like I don't know. I, I don't, I feel like the message is missed most of the time in those buildings. And like the, just like showing up to the building doesn't make sense to me, or I just have like some weird thing against it. But on that day, man, I walked into that place and, and I went into that area and I fucking, yeah, got on my knees and prayed in that area. I was just like, so compelled to do so just like this. How did that feel? It felt great. It was, it was cool, man. I heard the inside is really like psychedelic because I was out, I was there, but I never went inside. Yeah, yeah. the The inside is is psychedelic. Like that's the only that's the only thing I can compare it to is like that experience mm. taps into like any sort of hero like deep mu- like psychedelic mushroom trip that I've done where I feel like I've tapped into some other realm. Do you think Gaudi is Gaudi? Right? Who yeah. did it? Do you think Do you think Gaudi was dabbling in that kind of stuff? psychedelics and opium maybe or something mushrooms i I would i mean i think as someone that's had like some pretty mind-blowing and expansive and redefining moments like through some psychedelic experiences while acknowledging the slippery slope of them like i would like to say so i think like but i don't know i think maybe a lot of people do have the ability to tap into something without altering their mindset like that maybe it's just you know just a different Mm -hmm. lens that they see the world through but Mm -hmm. i don't know man the just his thought behind that thing and and the idea that it's still being built now still not finished you know and there Mm -hmm. and all but all of these people have decided that like hey we want to like really finish it the way he wanted to do it you know Mm -hmm. and yeah that place is unreal it's just a fucking I've I've never had an experience like that with with a a set of four walls that wasn't a hockey rink. Like mm. I don't know, like just so, it's so next level. And Yeah, I mean it was definitely I've seen some really beautiful churches, man, like everywhere. 
like everywhere I go in the Western world, I see really gorgeous churches. And um, in this country, there's a lot of them, but they're empty. This is like one of the most atheist countries, I think. And they're proud of it, the Czech Republic. And they have really beautiful ancient Gothic and uh, I think the... Uh, like medieval actual, churches. Hellenistic or so, I don't know, churches, the medieval churches. And they're, they're beautiful, but they're empty. There's yeah. no God in this country. And they're proud of that here. Um, and I don't know, man. I feel like it's like a waste because there's so many people like that want a place of worship and would be happy to have anything but they don't get to have it. And then there's these beautiful historic churches that are just empty. Right. There's just no, no one there. And they're telling you like, yeah, no one goes, but it's yeah. fine. It's cool. You know? Well, it's crazy. And I'm just like, what a waste. Yeah. Cause those, I mean, those places are open all the time. You know, any church that you go to on Sunday is the door, the front door is usually open so that you can go yeah, yeah. in and For pray. Sure. And yeah, man, I, I highly recommend anybody that's ever in that area to like go inside that place and, and get mm. that, get the headphone tour. So that you can understand like why each thing is in each place yeah, and things like that. And Cause that, that's like when you get to tap into like the mindset behind it, you know, mm. and learning that like he wanted to like give it as a gift to the city and shit. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's just yeah, pretty unreal. So speaking of like churches and places of worship and psychedelic experiences, like, so I'm, you know, obviously I'm stuck in Oregon right now because of covid and um i just recently a couple weeks ago i i got laid off um and i'm starting a new job at the end of this month but like i have all this free time um and i've been off like yeah already for like a couple weeks and in normal times i would just like i would have gone and fucking travel i would be in europe right now probably you and i would be doing this in person but um yeah like right now i'm stuck but of all the places to be stuck I feel so fucking fortunate because it's so beautiful here in the Pacific Northwest in the summer. So like I can just go drive to the coast or drive to a river or drive to the mountain. And like the shit that you see, I mean, I feel like this, um, this area is full of lots of like non-religious people who are very spiritual. And part of that is because like their place of worship is nature because the nature around here is so wild and it's so accessible. It's everywhere. You drive 30 minutes, you're like at Vista house overlooking the gorge, which is just like, yeah. I mean, you feel like you're in like Scandinavia or some shit. I mean, it's really, it's a, it's such a beautiful place. Um, and it's, it's similar growing up in Colorado as well, but I don't know what the nature situation is like around Prague, but like, I think of like New York city, which is also like a city that's, you know, sort of, very progressive, obviously very diverse, but like I think of the person who's like the most like me in New York City is like potentially someone who doesn't have a place to go for worship of any kind. They don't have a holy place because they're just like stuck in Manhattan. They don't have a car. Getting out of the city is like a whole thing. And it's just difficult for them to like be able to just like tap into that. They can't walk into a into a temple or a church or a mosque. Um not in the same way, even though there are, yeah. there are churches in New York city too, that are cool. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what, man, having, uh, having being raised in a nice Muslim community and, um, you know, I've traveled in the middle East and people are always surprised when I tell them I'm American or whatever. They're like, Oh wow. Do you guys got Muslims in America? And I was like, you know what? Yeah. And I, and I tell them like, you know, we don't have, 
a lot of Muslims in America, but the Muslims in America have a lot of Islam. And I feel like American Muslims, in my, in my experiences, have more understanding of their religion than a lot of Muslims in, in Muslim countries. Uh, because it's their really deep connection to their roots. Right, and because it's something that you have to choose every day. Like, the, your whole society and upbringing is telling you to, like, basically go secular. So, mm -hmm. to maintain it, you it's something it's a choice that you make perpetually, whereas, like, if you're in a Muslim country, it's just what, it's the norm. So, it's not a choice, it's just, you just, like, by, it's default, yeah. you know? So, that makes sense, um, for sure. Let me ask you guys something, because you guys are a couple of Bible buds, and, uh, you... And you guys told me that, uh, like, you don't know a whole lot of Muslims. Um, so I don't know exactly how much it is you really know about Muslims in general. And uh, are you, you guys are aware that we believe in Jesus, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's like, maybe besides Muhammad, obviously, like, he is the, uh, the second most important prophet. To yeah, Islam? I mean, like, we got five main prophets who are book people who brought books. Okay, so he's in he's so in the you, league. Yeah, so you got the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. You got Jesus, peace be upon him. You got Moses, peace be upon him. You got Abraham, peace be upon him. Uh, David, peace be upon him. And, um, you know, my name actually is Jesus. Like, my name is Wally, which is one of the names of God in Islam. It means the friend, the protecting friend. Hell yeah. That's, and uh, that's <laughs> it's like God has 99 names that are descriptive attributes of him. The hundredth one being Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, which means the one. And Wali happens to be one that means the protector or the friend. And uh, my, my real name, which I didn't know was sorry. my real name until I... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. My real name, which I didn't know was my real name until I was like 17 or something, which is, I thought it was my middle name, but I guess it's actually my, on my birth certificate is my, was my first name. Like I learned it, it's Ruhullah, Ruhullah. And, um, I thought that was, my name was Wally Ruhullah Weiss, but I guess my name was actually Ruhullah Wally Weiss. And so like one day my parents came to me and they were like, yo, well, you need to just sign these papers. And I was like, what is this? And they're like, oh, it's to change your name. I was like, change my name? What am I changing my name to? They're like, oh, nothing. We're just switching your middle name and your first name. I was like, I don't get it. They're like, well, your name is Wally, but, you know, on your birth certificate, we had it Ruhullah Wally Weiss. So we're going to switch it to how it is, which is supposed to be like Wally Ruhullah Weiss. And I was like, oh, man, because I love the name Ruhullah. And there's been many times where I regretted not rebranding myself and going by Ruhullah because I love that name. And that name translates into a uh, spirit of God. And it is uh, a title for Jesus because it's the spirit of God. So right. actually my name is also Jesus in a way. Right. Um, and so like Jesus is the most quoted person in the Quran and he's, he's actually in Islam. We believe he is the Messiah. So that is something that we actually have in common. I think a lot of people don't realize is that we, we really do believe that Jesus is coming back. You know what I mean? Like that um, he is the Savior and the Messiah. We just don't believe he is the Son of God. We believe he was a very important prophet and he was God breathed like his spirit into Mary. Mm -hmm. But it didn't mean that that doesn't make him his son is what we believe. So yeah. it's the same true. We for... believe in the immaculate conception. 
Sure. So we don't believe. So then the same would like Muhammad is also just a like a very important prophet. Or is he Muhammad is the last prophet. The last prophet. And he's yeah. a, and we believe that they're all men. Like Muhammad has a parent fathers and a father and son that are known about, you know. Sure. But they they were he was orphaned at a young age, so he was raised by his uh by his uncle. And um <clears throat> and uh you know in the end of days, it's not the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him who's coming back. It's Jesus who comes back and fights the Antichrist, basically. The Dajjal is what they call him. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's funny because we do have, a, like, it's really similar. Like, our, we, we basically are believing in a lot of similar things, and a lot of people don't realize that how similar Jews, Muslims, and Christians really are. For sure. I mean, especially Jews and Muslims, because like Arabic and Hebrew is the, pretty much the same language almost. They share so many similar words. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Arabs and Jews are cousins, you know. But you know what's crazy, actually, is actually Mecca, you know, the cube, the Kaaba. Muslims yeah. believe that was built by Abraham. And so do Jews. You know, Jews used to make pilgrimage there like five, four thousand years ago. And they stopped making pilgrimage there because it had been taken over by pagans and become a pagan shrine. And that area used to be called Bakka, not Makkah. And I believe it was in the Psalms that they talk about the Valley of Bakka and Abraham's other wife, not Sarah, but I don't know what they call her in English or Latin, um, but the mother of Ishmael, mm -hmm. not Isaac. And they talk about her in the Valley of Bakka. And, um, like, this is an area that's a, you know, it's a very historical trading route. And it's also like, you know, like literally you can go into Jewish texts and you can, you can read about this, 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 this area that they believe that was built because the Jews also believe that Abraham, you know, had that shift from Sarah. And he Dude, took Hagar. They used to call it Hagar as well. As was the I didn't fucking know that. I didn't know that, uh, that, you know, religious monument or structure or whatever, you know, this like holy, obviously I know that that's like that whole area is just like holy ground for all of these mm. religions. But I didn't know well, that Mecca in particular was like that, that who that Abraham is who it gets attributed to. Yeah. Abraham's footprints are there. Like actually like they, that's a one famous spot there. Like the actual black cube is called the Kaaba and that is newer. Like okay. the original Kaaba is like the foundation. Sure. It's too old. It doesn't exist for that long. So like they rebuilt that and then there was war and like, maybe like 13, 1400s, there was a war and they got destroyed and rebuilt again. But that foundation is the original foundation where it was at. And they believe that like, just like Solomon's temple was destroyed so many times, you know, like that's a really old area. And, and definitely like a lot of Jewish people don't even know it. But if you listen to like some Jewish scholars and go into texts, like this is definitely a place that historically Jews used to make pilgrimage to as well. Um, they just stopped once it became dangerous, you know? Um, and like, I think we're all really pretty much like very similar, man. Like, dude, just... I think that any, any like true, um, practitioner of like an Abrahamic faith, th they all have so much more in common than they could possibly have apart, you know, like, because mm. they just have slightly different understandings of God or Yahweh or Allah, 
you know, they have different names, different understandings, different preferred texts and prayer methods. But ultimately, like, I am a firm believer that, like, everyone's tapping into the same fucking thing. No matter what you want, how you want to frame it or what you want to call it or how you want to approach it or, you know, how you want to structure your life so that you can be most connected to it. Um, I think it's just the same thing. It has Dude, made, too many misconceptions, right? It's it has many, many names, but it's very simple when you break it down at the end of the day. And then it's funny to even lay over this historical perspective where it's like that just sort of further solidifies the fact that like there's just way more in common than there is not in common. Mm-hmm. Do you know any Hindus? Peoples. Do you know any Hindus? Well, you said you were reading, uh, about, you were reading Gita. Yeah, I've, re- I've, re- Gita. I've read it. Um, I've known probably less Hindus than I've known. Muslims, at least like practicing, maybe like I've probably only ever met like two or three like legit practicing. Because you mentioned earlier that you think all the people who truly practice the Abrahamic religions, but like no, but I think no, I think all of them. I mean, I think the Abrahamic religions are like they're so close that it seems silly to even think like you're saying that like Muslims could be even close to as far away as like America likes to portray them in terms of like their, the faith and the religion itself, apart from Christianity or Judaism. But I think that anybody, even as like, if you're not religious, if you're, if you're climbing to the top of the mountain, you're climbing to the top of the mountain. Like you're all, you're all looking for the same fucking point. And I I think that. that that point, whatever you want to call it, you know, God, the divine, the interconnectedness of all things, like it, it's there to be discovered and it will reveal Mm -hmm. itself to people. Um, I thought that the ayah that you shared was like very profound in that way. Sort of speaking of God as this thing that is like, yeah, like it's all knowing, ever knowing, completely unapproachable and at the same time, like fully accessible and will be, will make itself known to you. Like as you mm-hmm. as you make yourself ready to be mm. to receive it yeah. you know it's love definitely it's love and and the reason love, i was bringing baby. up the hindus is because they're actually a monotheistic religion hinduism is a monotheistic religion it's not a polytheistic religion and if you speak to practicing hindus they will explain that to you that these different gods that they talk about are all different aspects of the same one God. Same thing what you're talking God. about when you're talking about the, the 99 attributes. Well, uh, it's yeah. a misunderstanding yeah. of people in the West. It's, that it's, they see, uh, yeah, it's kind that of, this, they see it as, sorry. Yeah. It's just kind of the same with like uh, Catholicism with the, the saints. It's like, it's just perceived differently. Yeah. Like they're, and I mean like, it's, it's, it's really like there's so much – and that's what I keep telling people, man. It's like if you're not – if you're passionate about something, if you claim to be passionate about something or you hold passionate, strong ideas about something without trying to actually put the time in to understand that something, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself to make yourself more comfortable, to, to back up your biases and your ideas that you were taught and that you held. If you're actually going to be passionate and claim to be passionate and truly want to be sincere with yourself and be passionate about something, you have to put the time into understanding it. If that's science, that's science. If that's religion, that's religion. If that's spirituality, then spirituality. If it's, it's all three, then you're, then you're the fucking shit. Yeah, and it's a never-ending it's it's never quest. That's the trinity right there. It is. It is like yeah. there is no like, yeah, there's no end. Like this is, it's a fucking ever-changing thing. 
I know so many people that are anti-religion and I ask them like, or maybe like, I, I, and I've heard it more from Christians than I've heard it from, uh, than Muslims. Cause like I know, I knew more Christians growing up because most people I was talking to were from a Christian background yeah. and they're like, Oh, I don't believe in God or whatever. And I was like, did you read the Bible? I was like, did you study it at all? And they're like, well, no, but like, I don't need to read it to like, no, I don't believe in it. And I was like, but did you try? Like, how do you even know if you believe or not? Or you have like, you don't believe in spirituality. Did you try it ever? Did you try like to be spiritual? Like, did you give it a shot and then decide or did you just decide you didn't want to do it? For sure. And I think that's an important thing to try something. Well, like give it an earnest try and see if it's for you. I mean, that's kind of like why we're doing this podcast. Like, Oh, like that that stoned idea to do the bible with andrew and read through it was mostly because i had never like even growing up catholic it wasn't something i studied heavy so i feel like i never really read it with any any interest in it so mm-hmm. this has like really been like yeah reading through in my mid-30s now for the very first time with like a very different lens is uh has been important and it's been like i've gotten a lot out of it you know it's it's easy for me to like point out the bullshit in it but like i think like a lot of good stuff can be pulled from it too like depending on how you want to look at it or you know comprehend it so i i I completely agree with what you're saying it's like it's interesting that so many people bash up against it that that really haven't like they don't really know what's inside of it yeah, it's important because the power of belief is a superpower. It's a superpower of humans. And you can be really pedantic and semantic about it and talk about like how it's just the mind and it's all in your head. And and that actually it's the mind that's the superpower. And okay, if you want to go there, we can go there. But that's really is whether you're talking about like yeah, it's we're still never a superpower be a strong... then. It's still a superpower. Yeah. It's yeah, like it my you... example of a free will, like if science says free will doesn't exist, if my mind firm stands firm in the belief that it does, that does reframe my reality for me. Absolutely. So in that sense, it's absolutely a superpower. Like they say, we'll never be as strong as a gorilla or as fast as a cheetah or fly or swim. But you know, we'll always have more than other animals is endurance. Like our endurance is stupid good. And when humans, before they had weapons, they would chase an animal for days because they had this willpower, this spirit, this mind, whatever you want to call it, they're like, if, you know, if I stop chasing this animal, I'm going to die. And they would chase an animal for days, weeks. They would track it, follow its footsteps and chase it. And the animal instinctively would knew it was being chased. So they'd keep running. But eventually the animal is not as smart or whatever as a human. doesn't have a soul or sentience. And, and it would get tired. And it would yeah. yeah. It would just stop. It would be like, oh, I'm dead now. And it would get caught. And so we had that endurance. And if you want to look at it as your willpower... A lot of people will attribute that to spirit. Yep. And then you could talk about like a woman who can lift a car to save her kid. You know, you can call that adrenaline or whatever you want, but it was her will that was like, I must save my child that launched that. That was the launching point for that. You know, for sure. You can talk about Orsh. people who get healed from bullshit medicine. That's not, that's scientifically, it's not scientifically not proven to work. It's scientifically proven to be bullshit. Right. We don't like to talk and, about the bo- placebo effect and how fucking insane it is, how well insane. documented the placebo effect is in medicine. 
Dude, which it's is beautiful. Just, it's perfect evidence of the power of the human mind. Yeah. Dude, it's so crazy. And it's like people just go, oh, it's placebo. Like it's no big deal. I'm like, yo, that's crazy. No, that's the yeah, whole point. No, that's insane. The whole yeah. point <laughs> is that it's fucking placebo. Is that it's right. nothing yeah. except for their belief in that and, this thing is changing them. Yeah. And that that belief is unbelievable. That for sure. If you believe, if you believe in it, if you believe in it, a medicine that is literally scientifically proven not to work. Not, there's a difference between proven not to work and not proven to work yet, right? So this is proven to be nothing. Right. But because they believe in it, it works and it heals them. Right. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. It's not that it actually works. It's that their mind made it work. Right. Their mind willed and, them to be healed through and, yeah. this thing. Yes. And, and a lot it's of people a, label that as, as like God. Dude, it's the thing is that our minds are so sophisticated. So I'm a computer scientist, right? And I build programs that have like all these crazy moving parts that are working together. And it takes a shit ton of work. And you, then you think about pro projects like, you know, Google or, or, or Watson, IBM's Watson or, or Siri, whatever you want. You know, there's so many things, moving parts in there to make work. And they're so sophisticated. But our mind is still so much more sophisticated. So you look at this computer and it has all these moving parts and, and electrical signals and calculations and crunches that are happening that are creating all these things for it. But our mind is doing infinitely more than that. So for me, like if I saw a fully functioning machine in the forest working and chugging away, I'm not going to be like, oh, that was naturally just that's naturally coming there. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't make sense for me to be like, right. that. oh, that is such a, it's like, yeah, somebody built that and left it there. And so when I see our minds and our human and our humanity, I'm like, yo, something happened along the way where we're different. We're too, and life in general is so rare. It's like, I just, yeah, it's we're, really hard for me to think. We're a peculiar aspect of, of creation itself. Of, yeah, we of are the natural world. Yeah that's, yeah. What I'm, that's what I'm talking by. We, I mean life yeah. just existing at all. Is a really very crazy. strange part of the in perfect balance mass universe. Yeah, yes. it's supposed to be. It's crazy, right? It's a head trip. And <laughs> no, no, it's really, really wild. And so, like Keith could tell you, like scientifically, like statistically, in the odds, the guys really crunch the numbers. He's like, nah, scientifically and like statistically, it's more likely that we had some intelligent design than than not. And he he like convinced me, dude. This guy is fucking stupid smart, like. Is Tony Stark level shit, right? <laughs> and he was just like, "No, really, I'm not even oh, joking." Yeah. Like, Keith really is really legit one of the smartest people I've ever met. No, like I can't even sure. I come on the show, Keith. Share. No, I li I literally can't share some of the stuff he uh, has shared with me because it's like uh, it's classified, and uh, like the the work he does is unbelievable. Like you know, he went directly from USC to research and development at Boeing, uh, beating out people from MIT and Caltech and stuff. You know, he's a very very bright individual, very hardworking. And balanced individual, which is really like important. Um, but uh, I'll tell you, man, like the power of belief is a crazy superpower. And a lot of people are running around every day and they don't believe in nothing. And that's a shame. And they don't know how to believe. For sure. Well, this just goes back to what I was talking about earlier when this sort of conversation that we were having I mean, fuck, man, it could have been a decade ago at this point, you and me talking about the value of believing in nothing, which is uh, which is how we were framing being an atheist, which we've already decided is sort of like, you know, maybe a, a little bit too much of a broad sweep. But 
I super agree with that where it's like, you got to have some, some foundation somewhere, even if that is just believing in yourself, I guess, but like, you got to believe in, everyone has to believe in something. I mean, if I was a gambling man, I would say it's a bad bet not to believe in something, man, because like, man, it's not a whole lot of work and the payoff is huge. So you might as well do it. You know what I mean? It's good odds. It's not like it's telling you to go into prison. You know what I mean? Like you're, you believe it in something and if it pays off in the end, you got the rewards are huge. The payoff is big. Amen. And if it, and if it doesn't, then well, you're still fucked like everyone else. Yep. Yeah, absolutely, man. Fuck. So, and especially if it gives you some peace in this crazy world, which for me, it does. You know what I mean? That's, that's, uh, that's what I'm about, man. Whatever, whatever gives you peace in this world, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's an important thing, man. That's a thing a lot of people don't have, especially these days, man. This world is crazy. Yeah. It's on short supply for sure. How is it out in Portland, man? I heard you all got like, uh... You guys built your own country in the middle of the city or something, and like, yeah, it's a there little, was no police. That was a Seattle thing. Yeah, uh, oh, a, that was Seattle. Okay, yeah. sorry, I was thinking. Of, it's been grossly exaggerated you guys have like, on the uh, news. Uh, Gestapo's coming in and arresting people, right? You guys got that like was undercover. That was pretty much real. That was heavy. Yeah. Wasn't as like you know, it's not like everybody was getting arrested off the street, but like. People, people were getting did. snagged into unmarked vehicles. Was it like during protests or just randomly walking across the street? Someone's like, boom, they were waiting for you to be I mean, alone. It was like in jacket. the protest zone, but it wasn't okay. necessarily in the middle of a protest. And not necessarily uh, even every single, like some of those people were just trying to get home and walking. Like, yeah, maybe okay. not, not even maybe people that just live in that area. So do you think they were kind of just randomly snagging people? Or do you think there's specific people they were targeting? I think a little, a little bit of both. Hard to say, but they were definitely they sent the fucking feds into the city to, like, stoke the fire, and I don't know what the fu- or try to like instill fear in all yeah. of these protesters because the protests have been going on for a long time. It backfired. Yeah, the protesters they're still going. Yeah, they didn't yeah, stop. They're not reporting on it that much anymore, huh? Yeah, no, they're not. But they haven't stopped. Yeah, they're still yeah. happening. I don't think. Well, they're... do you remember when we were in university? They had the Occupy movement. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And I was uh, I was getting a little bit involved in that back then. And after a little while, they just stopped reporting on it, but it was still going on for a while. Yeah. For a long time after they reported on it, it was going on still. And well, I think that that's a, that's a huge thing they do, you know? It's 60-plus uh, days, probably 65 days or so in out here that they've gone out there every night. So it's pretty yeah, wild. Keep up the good fight, man. I mean... Yeah, man, it's a powerful it's, it's a powerful thing to experience. I've never experienced anything quite like that before. Like, we had a Black Lives Matter protest out here. What was that people like? People just made fun of it. What was that people like? People just made fun of it. Fuck. Well, to be honest with you, man, I didn't go. Like, how many people had, uh, show up to something like that in a, in a country? A that's couple like hundred. That? Wow. Was I think most people just laughed at them. They that's, just thought it was a joke. They're like, look at these so social justice pussies. Si- yeah, they don't take them serious. Snowflakes. Fuck. That's yeah, crazy. but it was cool though. Like, I, I, I encouraged a lot of people to go. I informed a lot of people. And to be honest, out here, like, I'm not. I'm definitely felt like I was doing my part. Specifically for that night, I just couldn't make it. Like, everyone was hitting me up to come, and I spread the word a lot, but I couldn't make it. You know, because yeah. I had some things I had to do. It is. And it was really it is. important. It was extremely important. Um, 
but I do feel that I did, I have done my part. Like this is a country of entirely almost white people that have no perspective on black struggles at all. And I've really taught a lot of people about a lot of things. Like I'm not, I'm not tooting my own horn, but literally like I'm many people here's only voice on what's going on. Like I've had to teach so many people. I've had to have the discussion of systemic racism in America on so many occasions in the last like several months with so many different people that I'm almost like automatically being able to speak it, you know? These are people who are like native to the Czech Republic yeah, or Europe Czechs, or whatever. And they just yeah. don't understand what's going on and why it's going on and why these people are doing this. And I have to literally start from the beginning with them. Right. And I have right. to explain to them like, dude, I mean, Americans know, like, need to be schooled in that exact same way. They're the majority of Americans don't understand systemic racism. Yeah. They don't. A long all. way to go. Yeah. It's been yeah. fucking. And by the way, another, another thing that, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, oh, but it good. ties into something we talked about earlier where we we're talking about how most of the, most of the Muslims in America are black and you're like, because of the whole movements in the fifties, I'm sure you're referring to the nation of Islam and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. But actually, you know, like upwards of 30% of the slaves brought to the new world were Muslim. Oh, really? That's something a lot of people didn't know. Yeah. Africa is mostly Muslim continent. It's like Muslim and some Christians and then some random like tribal worshipers. Right. But it's like very, very, like maybe half Muslim. Okay. And like upwards of 30% of the slaves brought to the new world were Muslims. Wow. And uh, so a lot of them that went back to Islam were finding, they saw it as a reversion to their previous. Right. It's faith. in their roots. It's in their roots. And, and literally like they talk about it, like George Washington have writings about Muslims, you know, like they call them Muslimen or Moors. You know, and um, there was famous cases of slaves who were freed. Like one guy was a prince, actually, in his in his in his city in Africa, and he was a very educated prince. He knew a lot of languages. He knew how to read and write. And after years and years of being a slave and having raised a family in America, he finally was able to get someone to contact his family back in Africa, who was extremely wealthy, a royal family, and they were able to negotiate for his freedom but they wouldn't release his family that he had built there. So he had to choose to either leave or stay a slave with his family. And he chose to leave. I don't think, I, I can't say he made the wrong move or, you know, I don't know idea what it would be like to be a slave, you know, like how traumatic that could possibly be. Maybe he thought he can win their freedom from there better, you know, but I mean, there's, yeah, there's a lot of history. Fuck. There's a lot of history of Muslims in America. Like, and if you think about how slaves have built America, pretty much like we've been here Word. the whole time. Yeah. Fine. You could even say we're as American as apple pie. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Uh, damn. Yeah. That's really, that's very interesting and, and very insightful. Definitely something to, to consider amidst that conversation uh, this black lives matter conversation, you know? Um, and I think that's super important for me to know and have reframed that it wasn't just this thing that sprung up in, you know, the mid 20th century. Um, that was a resurgence of something that already existed. Big time, big time. Can I ask you, Andrew, on a different note, bro? What is that little vape you got there, bro? What you got there? What is that? That's, is it the same thing I got? It's, is it this uh, thing? Uh, it looks different. It's is it it's, nicotine? Yeah, it's nicotine. It's it's a Alto. I think it's like a okay. It's like a it's a Philip Morris like okay. Yeah, it's like All a right. big tobacco kinda, company. It looks kind of like this. It's salt nicotine. Oh, yeah, I just I saw yeah, you. Yeah, it's that, that. they just like 
you know, I couldn't do the Jewel anymore because they changed up the flavors and I, I didn't like any of the new ones. And I switched to this other one and it's fine. Yeah. Okay. That's that was just a little weird tangent because I saw it and I was like, is he smoking the same shit I'm smoking? Essentially. I like, uh, essentially. Yeah. I can't. I'm like you. I can't. I can't kick the nicotine. I kicked the cigarettes, bro, which was a huge deal for me. Same. You kicked the cigarettes all the way? I don't. I can't bro. remember. It's been a long time since I've smoked a cigarette. How, how, it's good, huh? Life's oh, better? It's so much better. Yeah. So much better. Tell me, tell me you don't miss the old jewels. They were the best, bro. Oh. You don't miss them? No, it was the. It was. The, I <laughs> absolutely miss it. It was like best. I quit cigarettes for years and then. I always like fucking miss a cigarette, you know. Like I watch a Quentin Tarantino movie, and they're smoking a cigarette, talking about some sick dialogue, and I'm like, fuck, I wish I could just spark one of those bad boys up right now. Yeah. And then when I got back to the states, and the jewels got big, and I started hitting those jewels, I never wanted a cigarette again. Exactly the same for me. I never went. I back. wanted a jewel. I wanted the a jewel way more nice. all the time. <laughs> Dude, it was way more, way more addictive than cigarettes. But way more. I, yeah, I stopped cigarettes like from that point on. Essentially, anytime I want yeah, to smoke a cigarette, I just smoke a joint and, instead, and it, it cures that a little bit, a little bit. You know? Yeah, cures I don't really do that too much either. I, I, you know what? I used to be a big time pothead. I know you guys are Bible buds, and I don't have nothing against pot, but um, I only use it very medicinally now for the most part. Uh, like if I'm in really big pain, like I just almost broke my ribs, like I, I fractured them a little bit, and that's actually worse. It takes longer to heal than a r- real break, you know, in jujitsu, like literally like five days. I was in Croatia. That's why it was so hard for us to connect for a while. Um, like five days before I left, I was training. I was teaching some guys because I... I teach jujitsu as well. And um, we were doing some moves and something accident happened. I popped my ribs and like, you know, like when I broke or when I broke my foot, my toe, actually, like I had a break in my toe. I didn't smoke weed for forever because I like didn't like how it made me think anymore because I got lazy. It doesn't agree with me really well. I don't even eat food that often. <laughs> it's so weird. Like, Get I don't like to up. do... Yeah, I don't like to do things that much anymore that make my mind work slower. And whenever I eat, I get sleepy. So I pretty much have been intermittent fasting for the last handful of years. Like I eat usually once a day at the end of the day, like a really healthy, nutritious, full of colors meal. And then throughout the day, I'm mostly drinking coffee and water and nicotine. And, um, it's worked well for me and I, I I would do really well on it. Uh, it wasn't until I I had an accident in a jujitsu tournament where I broke my toe really bad, like it was a compound break. So the bone came through the skin and the toe was just basically hanging ah. on. Yeah. The toe Fuck. was just basically hanging on by skin flopping to the side. No, you know, God and, uh, it takes a while to heal those bitches because there's not a lot of blood flow and yeah. it was really painful. And, uh, they had metal in there like to keep it in place. Um, and I was on Vicodins and Norcos and all this shit. And I was like high as fuck out of my mind. I couldn't shit for like a week, you know, and all this stuff. I hate and my that j- shit. Yeah, it's so bad. And I, and I have friends who died off that, you know, like they, they just got from that to stronger stuff to heroin and, you know, passed away. And, um, it's really dangerous and a slippery slope. And my jujitsu coach, he's like a dope guy, you know, he's like a world champion surfer. He's like one of the famous surfers in the world. And he's like, also a world champion jiu-jitsu fighter and he's like a big rasta type guy in a sense like we love sweet and he was like bro take that shit away from your life bro 
He's like, I know you ain't smoking weed no more, but you need to stop that shit and smoke some weed instead. If the pain is like that and you can't sleep and stuff, you know? And I was like, fuck it. You know? And I started smoking again for that. And now I realize, like, you know, like for sure, like, there's some really good medicinal aspects to it. So I like very par- like sparsely use it for like pain, uh, pretty much pain mostly because I have a lot of pain in different parts. Um, I might take a little toke pre-exercise for like, hell yeah, dude. uh, pre-workout. Fuck yeah. Um, I love but that not move. a lot. Yeah. Just like a one little puffer, you know, like a, yeah. You know, like a little snapper, like a really small snapper, like, and then go work out for an hour and just focus on your breath and your breathing, you know? And, um, but I don't really like to be high, uh, anymore. I'm, I'm, I, and that, and you know what? It took me a while to figure out how to function again because so much of my social, pretty much my entire socializing life was based around being intoxicated to some degree for so many years of my life from like 16 till 26 for 10 years like i just didn't know how to connect with human beings without being fucked up for sure and it took me a long time like at least two years to figure out how to do that again how to you know be like fun and uh, um i lost friends along the way dude you lose a lot of friends when you stop drinking like it's not like they're like oh he doesn't drink you you know like but it's like you don't drink so you become the dd kind of and then you go out with them, but then you're not drinking and people who don't drink, people who drink don't necessarily want to be always around a sober person. So you also, start getting you invited. You don't necessarily want to be around drunk that. people. Yeah. Yeah. It's same, same, right? And oh. then like you start getting invited less and less and you drift apart and it's like, damn, you know, like there's still that love there, but you just don't kick it no more. You know what yeah. I mean? But I just feel so much better not doing that. And I'm having so much more success in life and I've gotten so much farther in life. And you know, if you do, that's good. But for me, I couldn't control myself. Like when substances get, start getting involved, I just start trying to do all of them. And even with cola, like Coke, like Coca-Cola, I, I gotta be careful with that shit, man. Cause I might drink the whole shit in one sip. Yeah. I might suck the whole Capri Sun down in the first in the first pop, you know. Yeah, it's like I, me with cookies. Just, it's like me with cookies. Bro, I just like, can't. The whole th- the whole I'm, plate is going in one night. All bro, the I'm, cookies. I'm insatiable, are gone. man. I'm insatiable. I can't be satiated. Like right. I just need. It's it, just you gonna know what turn I mean? you like, into a more monster. That's Give why I just, just coffee and water, dude. You guys got good coffee out there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wish you weren't so far away. I would send you some. Maybe I still will. Portland is a place I always wanted to come to. It's a shame that right now it's not a place I can. I, I, I'm, a, I'm an American refugee basically right now. I can't go home. Right. Because if I go home, I can't come back here. Right. Fuck. So it's fucked. I yeah. miss home. I miss my family so much. I usually come home for a little bit every summer and I just can't. The risk is too high. Like I can get to America. Right. There's a very solid chance that Europe won't let me back in. Right. For sure. At least not for a, a, a while. Yeah, it's happened to some of my friends and all my shit's here. My life is here. I have a lot of shit that's going on here. I can't just not be able to not come back. And so it's like a really shitty situation for me. And I'm alone pretty much, you know, like I don't have any community here. I don't have a whole lot of Muslims or people to talk to. Most people are completely not on the same wave as me here. Dude, it's so weird. And 
I have to go soon because it's late for me. Yeah, we. I can't believe it. You know, it's like four thirty. We did fucking three hours, man. This is this is yeah. a great chat. A I'm great sorry, chat. I'm a I'm a talker, so don't get me started. But uh, before I leave, I just want to say that uh, I would recommend a show to you guys if you want. I think that you guys would like it as well, and uh, maybe you've seen it. It's pretty popular now. It won a bunch of awards, but if you haven't seen it, yeah. Rob, definitely you're talking about Rami. You're talking about Rami. You seen Rami? Yeah. Fantastic show. I, I love ha- it. Hey, I great haven't. Show, I haven't man. seen season two yet. Um, yeah, it's great. I was gonna ask you about that earlier, actually. Like, I wanted to ask you what you thought about that show. Um, so I'm glad that you brought it up because yeah, I think that's a good because, place to, to yeah, maybe end on. I think that was that was just like such a cool like look into that culture. And, and it's something that I'm not super familiar with. And, and I just like love seeing his, his experiences and like trying to find his spirituality. And you it's know, my experience too. That's fucking awesome. I dude. relate to that show. That's the most relatable show I've ever seen in my life. And many Muslims I talk to Muslim Americans agree. Well, and he's the same age range as me as well. So he was young during nine eleven, all that stuff. Yeah. It's very relatable, and I think many, if not most, Muslim or young Muslim Americans will be like, "Yeah, that's that's pretty much my story too." Yeah, it's beautiful. Except man. for we're not as big pieces of shit as Rami. Rami's kind of a piece of shit, uh, right? A little bit. But he, the thing is, he is definitely a piece of shit. But he's trying to get better. Yeah, he's experiencing and, the world, dude. That's he's, the whole like, thing, he's, on, right? he's on his journey, you know. It's it's like a comedy. So he's he's more of a piece of shit than probably most people are because it's a comedy, right? He's supposed to be like that. And it wouldn't be as funny if it was like a regular just dude just trying to get better. The whole reason it's funny is just like jerks off sometimes, but not like doesn't like fuck other dudes. (laughs) Yeah. And fuck other dudes' wives and stuff like. Yeah. But I don't know, man. He's a dick, but he's trying to get better. For sure. He has that earnest ability. Yeah. He's also a a sweetheart. You got to give people that space though. Like you got to give people the space, the ones that are trying, you know, even if they are doing like even if they're they're still fucking it up pretty bad, you know, as long as they're fucking, they're trying and not, like, harming others, hopefully, you know, it's, uh... Well, Rami's harming people inadvertently, but that's what makes it a good TV show as yeah, well. It makes for it funny. Sure. Love Rami. But I would, like, yeah... Put it on the Bible Buds watch list. It's on the watch list. <laughs> Do it. Put it on the official playlist for sure. I mean, I would recommend... I'm glad you guys have seen it, because I, I tell people all the time, if you want to get a idea of what it's like growing up to be a Muslim in America in this modern age, check yeah. out Rami because I mean, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good one. Yeah. I mean, that's just a show I recommend to people in general now. Like, you know, I'm just like, if people are, it's a fresh story, you, like, know, you yeah, don't yeah, see like, a lot of stories. It's a like, total check fresh story. this out. Like the, like Rami is definitely up there right now. So good shit, man. Well, it's great. To I'm glad you. I was, able to talk to you guys yeah thanks for Thank for hanging on world. so long and so late i know it's late as hell over there right now dude so. i realized like 20 minutes ago that it was four o'clock in the morning and i was like fuck me how did i do this yeah. <laughs> it happened so it, it was a good time that's why time passed cool. so so fast i hope that i don't sound like a complete moron on this thing back. this is one of my favorite chats for sure and i just appreciate you you sharing your experience with us and is uh yeah man it's it's definitely a shift in perspective for me so well like just getting to hear everything i'm i likewise bro and i i hope i can talk to you guys again i hope in real life we can connect again soon you know once all this shit settles down uh, I'm gonna let you guys go now and get some shut eye. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, 
you guys keep on keeping it real all right i appreciate you guys all right man yeah and let's you and i we should catch up off the mic sometime soon it's been a long time since we've just definitely had a, bro been way too hard chat so cool all right man well thank you so much and uh sleep tight thanks bro take it easy take care guys Wally Weiss. Dude, that was that was deep, man. Yeah. You told me that he was an insightful fella and and you did not lie. Believe I the didn't. hype, everybody. Yeah. Uh that was a great one. Yeah, Wally's you know? Wally's the homie. One of the deeper ones we've done. We haven't done like a three hour chat since my cousin, who was like episode three mm-hmm. or like the first guest mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. So Yeah, that was that was great, man. I learned a lot from that Same. conversation. So much. And yeah, what a cool dude. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fucking great. Hell yeah. I didn't check the emails. I just assume we didn't get any. So maybe probably next time. A, probably a fair assumption. Um, but if anybody wants to send us an email, you know, the links will be in the episode notes and you can you can send us an email. We, we will pray for you or whatever you need. We're always here and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, follow us on the old gram on, we'll put the link in that and, uh, smoke, pray, love. And then, and then you go and you bless up. You gotta bless up. Gotta bless you up. You must bless up. 